Hello, hello, all you gigalos. Welcome to an incredibly special episode of Garbage In, Garbage Out. Whereas uh, before we would dive in and talk about 15 news stories or trailers that happened this week, we are releasing a bonus episode to you that's going to be doing a deep dive into the world of Amazon Prime's Wheel of Time TV show, aka, no, not the Lord of the Rings fantasy show that Amazon Prime has. Before I dive any further and continue to ramble on, uh, I, of course, am Kelly. Elton, your host, but I'm joined this week not by Grift, but by another member from a Northeast elite who goes by another nom de guerre. So uh, please, everyone, round of applause for Dread. How is it going? It's going terrible. We live in constant existential dread and terror. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> yes, yes, we are recording on January 1st. Uh, hopefully this will be coming out shortly thereafter, but if not, it will get lost to the sands of time. The wheel of time lost in the sands of time. It's a uh, uh, poetic and fitting more poetic and fitting than the show was but uh, again let's not dive into it too much uh yet i want to give an obligatory spoiler warning to everyone who hasn't seen the show but wants to for some unknown reason i don't know what people are there they're like oh man i really want to watch wheel of time i just haven't had an opportunity to yet and go with god i guess is what i would say to those people but watch it and then tune back in later on it's not going to hurt our analytics here <laughs> Uh, whatsoever. So we'll also uh, say I probably will spoil some stuff from the books, which at this point, don't read the books. I, I'm just going to say that right off the bat. So like <laughs> I, I'm doing you a favor, but <laughs> it's uh, I, I know this is an inappropriate comparison, probably, but it's kind of how I feel about Dune now that the new Dune movie came out. I watched the, that movie. I'm like, well, now I'm never going to touch these books. So, Fuck these books. So I actually think that is not an inappropriate. I think that is the best possible comparison for a simple reason. Dune in the sci-fi genre is very similar to Wheel of Time in the fantasy genre because both Robert Jordan and... Uh, Frank Herbert had a weird, tenuous grasp on reality, uh, involved a lot of sort of like meshed up religious iconography with uh, religious aspects of like uh, traditional Abrahamic religion sort of meshed in with sort of a westernized version of usually Buddhism or some other form of just sort of like Eastern. It's spirit. yoga. It's it's uh, L.A. yoga. Buddhism exactly. is what it is. And then yeah. um, the difference is that Frank Herbert is a maniac. Oh, and by, both series, by the way, are finished by other people with the oversight of family members because the author <laughs> drops dead during the completion of this overwhelming uh, story. Got too close to the truth. The, is, uh, how I <laughs> exactly. The, the, the same person that took out Epstein took out them. But the, <laughs> the difference is that Frank Herbert um, created a fundamentally interesting analysis of society in his terribly sometimes often in fact often racist uh books whereas frank okay. herbert wrote textbooks into his fantasy <laughs> world and didn't he didn't he didn't stare deeply enough into the he didn't get wild and like but mad but was he racist uh, yes in what? different ways I Okay, he was textbook racist, though, where he's like, but no, actually, the skull shape of the orcs, uh, that's why they're predisposed <laughs> to violence, you see. Uh, it's its a cultural thing uh, based on their binding practices. Right, yeah, it's much yeah, more physiognomy than, uh, than it is uh, sort of a uh, uh, orientalism of, of Frank Herbert. 
I don't know, man. With the way the show ended, I got some orientalism towards the end there. It's uh, about with to get the, a lot the magic worse. ships. Yeah. Uh, so it, it felt very cool. I was like, well, this is only uh, mildly trite uh, throughout the first season. But man, uh, when they're teasing you on that second season, I'm like, oh, oh boy, this is going to be interesting to see. So. Um, Let's do a little bit of setup here for for the world of the show. I say the world of the show because I haven't read the books. You will, of course, be giving your expertise, as I always come to you with these things. And where I'm like, I, I'm dumb. I have a couple of ideas here. Can you explain them? And you're like, yes, this is, the, you know, here are all of the reasons why that is, in fact, dumb. I'm like, thank you for articulating what I just kind of went with a vibe feeling on. Um because the the setup for this show seems to be where we're following a a wizard woman. Uh, her name is Mor Moiraine, and she is a m- member of the Aes Sedai, who is a uh, quasi religious order, quasi governing order that can channel an elemental force called the One Power. Now, thousands of years ago, in the distant future, which is kind of seems to be the attitude with this of like a sci-fi past that erupted with flying cars and all of this other stuff, both men and women could channel this one power, this force, but then all the men got corrupted by uh, this evil being called the dark one. And it makes now men who try and tap at tap into this power insane. Right. Uh, is, Is that, an accurate uh, summation. That is kind the of a... best way the show has put it. So, and in this new woke show, though, no non-binary characters exist. So, actually, right? that's actually a really fascinating thing, and it's actually something I wanted to talk about. I'm sorry to jump in right away. Please, please. Robert Jordan attempts to do something, and the show actually continues this, but he creates what I would call, and the show perpetuates this sort of like false feminist view of. Uh, society where the the modern world that you the show takes place in has elements of matriarchal domination of magic so only women can channel uh, and the once again the one power of the source only women can channel it without going mad um, because of this past event in the uh, that the dragon uh produced uh okay but just just real quick like People are wondering, like, why a guy who called himself Dragon got corrupted by the evil power. Like, he called himself Dragon. The the, the giant red flag right there. You know, like, if a guy's name is, I don't know, Terrence, <laughs> he's like, but from now on, you call me Spike. Like, uh, I don't know. I think Spike here might be a little corruptible. Just if I'm, you know, calling my shots early. It's a, it's a fair bet. And actually, so that's something that... that- um uh uh jordan like kind of tries to do he tries to like talk about like the the fundamental like uh infallibility of men and so he creates this sort of like gender essentialism is the best way i could describe it like a forced idea that men and women have specific sets of traits that are inherent to them and you know, it's like cool. it, it's like it's a basic cool. concept of this world. Everything is like framed in this idea of duality. So there's the male half of the one power and the female half of the one power. And men can channel the male half and women can channel the female half. And uh-huh. throughout the course of the story, they talk about how each of those halves have fundamental traits so that the the female half of the one power is like water and the male half is like fire. 
Uh, I love this. Yeah, it's not <laughs> guy get guy takes LSD while looking at the yin yang symbol. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, I just cracked this baby wide open. Like, I, I don't know. It just it feels weird because like even in Christianity, there is a uh, a rejection of duality with the concept of the Trinity that there can be three and one and one and three. And so not everything falls into this weird binary construct. And it seems to be like, well, no, 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 no. We're, we're just going to be saying, you know, boys like trucks and girls like cooking. And That's the way the world works. But because of the power, you see. And that actually is, I think, the biggest, if you want to take a critique of this from the lens of uh, feminism or from, from a quote unquote woke lens, whatever, and including from the show, uh, I'm a white guy. I, yeah, let, let's do this. Uh -huh. I am the one who can talk about this with authority. <laughs> Truly, we are experts. Um, but it, it's the show sets up this very powerful woman to be a focal character. And she's the most fleshed out to start, which is Moraine Aes Sedai. She's one of the Aes Sedai. And the Aes Sedai are um, female channelers. They are, like you said, a, a quasi-religious order. But they are basically all the wizards of the land become Aes Sedai. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, they can wield the female half of the one power. And this creates this setup, this like sort of like quasi expectation of a matriarchy, because, you know, it's like, you know, well, like, would you want to explore this idea of a world where like the only ones who are allowed to use this power are women, but ultimately the world presented by the wheel of time still reproduces sort of prototypical patriarchal like fantasy tropes. Because the magic sucks in this world. Very true. The magic is like, I can force push. I can shoot a fireball. You realize like what an AK-47 would do in this world? Like, you would be God. would mow down every, like, they would worship you. It would be like, I don't know. He has the lead power. The, the, the gunpowder itself. Just, I, I, I don't know. Like, and I want to do a little bit of pushback about Moraine being like this super powerful wizard because in the first episode, these like half troll, half orc like beings attack, and it's a real fucking problem when like three of them attack Moraine and her sidekick Lan. And later in the show, in like the second to last or the last episode, there is an army. Literal thousands of Trollocs are attacking five newbie wizards that aren't supposed to be as powerful as her and they lay waste to all of them so i i, I don't actually think moiraine just like has shown in the show any actual element of being that much stronger than anyone else no so this is going to be very so i'm going to warn everybody right now um never go look at the wheel of time wiki because one of the things you will look at is that there is an official power scaling so like you know how anime oh, fans, fuck yeah. you know, so like anime <laughs> fans will be like Goku, Goku solos, and they'll do like power scaling of everyone. There is an official power scaling <laughs> of the uh, Wheel of Time source users, both uh, in both types of the source, and oh, no. it's you can find exactly what level of strength they are uh, based on where they are. Uh, relative to, so for example, a plus one in the use of the term is the is the one person lower than the most powerful possible. So one person lower than the one power. So if you're, sure. the, it's like a golf score. And if you have a 
Low golf well, score. Okay, I, I, I hate to say this because it's is my dumb guy brain here. This is how Vinton Diesel scaled all of his Fast and Furious fights <laughs> was with uh, like a similar scoring system of like, well, I beat this guy with this many punches. So this guy can only beat this other guy with so many punches because that shows how strong my character is. It is almost exactly the same <laughs> system. I'm, I'm oh, hell yeah. I am not even uh, kidding. And <laughs> if it, once again, if we want to go back to this weird sort of gender essentialism, this sexual essentialism, actually, in this concept, um, the highest power a man can achieve is six steps higher than the highest power a woman can achieve. Hell yeah, as it should be. Right, of course, because once again, misogyny written into this yeah, woke I story. It's it's kind of like the SEC overall of where like, yeah, a lot of the conference sucks, but the good teams are really good. OK, there's like the Alabama and the Georgia at the top. And we just kind of forget about the Vanderbilt and the Kentuckys that take place in the world. Right. It's, it's so. the same exact sort of concept. <laughs> OK, I, I really hate that this is like how football pilled my conversations are these days but okay all right that that's a good way to lay things out here um i i want to dive into like the the uh, as the show and series opens we're introduced to this cast of characters which on the business side i think it's a real big swing for amazon prime because they got rosamund pike you know gone girl and gone girl and then they also got Daniel Henney, who he was Matt Simmons in Criminal Minds, and he, he's uh, been in several other things. But those are two very accomplished actors in their own right. One's awards caliber, one is network TV caliber, but entirely serviceable. The four leads, though, that they got for the special children, because each one of them could potentially be the main special boy, this dragon reborn, um, None of these people have done anything of note, though. So they they were really trying to go with that. Well, we're going to watch them blossom. And then as they grow older into their careers, you're going to watch them grow. And so we'll have bigger and bigger names by proxy, kind of like um, a little bit of what they wanted to do, like with Harry Potter. But they're starting off with cool, sexy mid-20s people. So, you know, uh, they're trying to do their own all Riverdale. Yeah, thank you. Riverdale is probably the, the the much better comparison here because like uh, uh, we we have Randall Thor, who uh, I'll, I'll get to last actually, even though introducing him first, um, which I love because his name is Rand Althor, but I keep thinking of it as Randall. So like his name is Randall in my head. Um, uh, then you have uh, uh, Perrin, who is like the blacksmith of the town. And kind of like a, a a big big old bear of a man, and uh, he he's married to a woman who is probably the most lesbian coded individual I have ever seen in the show. So, can you explain what their marriage was like in the books? It, it didn't exist in the books. She's a fantastic. <laughs> well, that's not actually exactly true. Um, he does have a wife in the books. Uh, but okay. the wheel of time uh, woman that you see in the TV show is, I believe, a wheel of time original character. Okay. 
and, and that's why again spoilers so everyone's deep into this by now um when she dies at the beginning she immediately gets fridged like it's like ah my beautiful wife oh no trollocs are attacking ah she's dead like uh uh, it becomes an instigating incident for him. But I felt like there was absolutely no chemistry between the two of them. And then that later becomes a plot point in and of itself. So I should correct myself. She's not a wheel of time or she's not a TV show, original character. She's an, she's based on an entirely different character in the book who is not married to the guy, but he thought about marrying her once upon a time, but she's married to a different guy. Hell yeah. So they just All right. they put her in his life in the show to fridge her, to give him character development. Because this is a feminist program, you understand. We make this independent woman get married to a man, and then we kill her off, so that way then she can help support his journey. That's what it means to be woke in Amazon Prime television programming. Um, then we get uh, also a, a character named Matt, who's just a little shit. Like I, I he, little little fuckhead of like a I'm a rogue only I have no admirable qualities so I'm actually kind of like a parasite. When we like, when we get through the characters, we have to have a conversation about Matt. Well, no, let's talk about Matt right now. He reminds me of every house party guest who ends up staying like four days after the party is hung around. And you're like, what the fuck are you still doing here, bro? So this is a. Uh, so, so there's a little bit of a spoiler, but we'll talk about it more. But like everybody in this character, to, in this show, to a degree, are like special kids. It, it is it is very much a uh, a your special feel good about like it's it's a um, wish fulfillment to a certain degree of of characterization. It's like uh it's it's fanfic writing at a certain at a certain level. It's yeah. my hero academia, but with characters from the Bible. <laughs> basically, that's the best way I can oh. describe it. See, you just made the show sound like a thousand times cooler than it actually was. Because you know, now I'm just picturing like teenage Moses getting overwhelmed as like the school bell rings, and then he has to like separate everything on either side so he can speed run to class. A much like, better. That's sh- that's a great show. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, let's pitch it right now. We got this. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood. Amazon's rolling in the money. <laughs> uh, so the big thing is the this the core concept of this entire world is this concept called the wheel of time, and I don't know how much this is explained. Um, sort of overall, but the wheel, the idea is this idea that everyone reincarnates. It's a cyclical reincarnation. Mm-hmm. You die, you are cleansed by the wheel, and you return to a new form. And it's just a continuous cycle. It's once again this this sort of like faux Eastern concept of con- continuity and this like this uh, continual self. And through either their individual sort of traits or through their role in the wheel uh three of the special children and then the extra person we'll talk about are born special and one Uh isn't and i will give you all one guess on which of the four kids is not born special Certainly, it's not the one that succumbs to the darkness and then, you know, has like the weird dagger obsession the entire time. It is, in fact, the one who succumbs to the darkness and has a weird dagger obsession. And also, where the entire, like, the entire, like, subplot was 
just because he comes from a poor family doesn't mean he's any less special than us. And then at the end, they're like, he is less special than you all. Yes. And in fact, in the book series, he does have development. Kind of. Uh, but I would hope yeah. I, I, after like nine books or whatever, uh, it'd be weird if he was static. But he literally is in a a cast that is entirely based on um specialness he's a very interesting character in the books like he's kind of like he's played later on more as like like a charming rogue kind of thing like a like a handsome gambler kind of thing like a uh, a gambit kind of deal but yeah it, w- where where was that right Cause... instead they just made him a shit <laughs> It looked like he was going through meth withdrawals the entire time. And I get that they're like, because he was fighting the darkness. A weaker man would have died weeks ago. And it's like, show me that. Don't just tell me that. Like, the entire thing is them saying, like, yeah, but for regular people, oh, man, uh, regular people would have died so fast, but not these people. Like, I'm not seeing any regular person in this show, so I can't resonate with any of them. It is noteworthy that he is the most insufferable of the characters. He's the only one who is not born special, and he's the only one getting recast for season two, so... Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess good for them for acknowledging that. They're going to be like, oh, wow, Matt, you look different. Uh, Glad you got to the also- clinic. <laughs> it's like a Pokemon evolution that took place for him. Like It's his new form. Um, okay. The, the, the other one um, that we get is uh, the, uh, the special kids is uh, Egwin. Who, uh, for for anyone out there who's like, hey, that person looks familiar. Uh-huh. I'm just kidding. No, she she probably doesn't. Unless you watch Dora and the City of Gold, and then she was that kind of bitchy female student to Dora, who gets mad that Dora knows and cares about the rainforest. So, just to give a frame of reference for people, that movie I believe came out two years ago, where she was playing a high school freshman. And now she is playing someone in her mid-twenties. So uh, my question to you, Dredd, is five years from now, when she is playing a senior citizen, uh, what are we anticipating uh, the acting jobs on her to be in the upcoming Betty White biopic that she will be doing? Uh, not great. She's she's not great in this, in this season. But... <laughs> None of them are. I just want to say for the record, I will, there's a. I will offer once again a lukewarm defense of Rand. Okay, so let's talk about Rand. Rand, the guy who again needs to be said in this dirt brown, gray, and green town, he has red hair. No one else has red hair, and we're supposed to not incorporate the fundamental concept of color differentiation to mean that he's the special boy. And then, like, as they go on for episodes and have spanning arcs that just feel like shitty misdirects, it feels like there's a, a street magician in front of you who you're trying to find the ball with the moving cups, only the cups are transparent. And then he's like, aha, but where is it? You know, which one of these is actually the special kid? It's like, I don't know. Probably the kid with red hair and who doesn't really know who his parents were. And who also comes from a line of warriors that 
we all get told about and about like how badass and cool they are. Just a guess. Uh, he once again, it's the anime rules. If you have the one kid with weird hair in the classroom, that's definitely going to be the main character. And the sword belonging to your dead right. dad. Let's not. His dad doesn't <laughs> die. He just gets really, really beat the fuck up, and then they just abandon him. Uh, well, I was I was referring to other dad. Oh, but right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has the Batman thing, and then he's raised by an Alfred of sorts. You know, it, it's uh, honestly. Mad props to because I think he uh, he played um, the senior Bolton on Game of Thrones, the the dad character. So he he just looked in the mirror one day, told his agent, like, just cast me in whatever Vikings medieval fucking shit you got lined up for me. I got my hair grown out. I got the grizzled look. Uh, you know, let's ride this wave all the way through. Um, I, also, like the writers of the show. Uh, it's very uninspiring I, behind the scenes as well. Like the, the showrunner did two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then also did Hemlock Grove. The writers did only the first season of that C show, uh, S.E.E. show, the Jason Momoa Everyone's Blind show, and then also did the first season only of His Dark Materials, Meaning that, you know, it's giving me a lot of faith for what season two has in store for these characters. So this is the thing I, I so I gaslit Kelton into watching this, by the way, just the audience knows, uh, because I said I would offer a lukewarm defense of the season. And I do want to offer a lukewarm defense of the season that I actually believe this was the best possible uh, or not probably the best possible. One of the better alternatives for for adapting this series because this is such a terrible series to adapt into a TV show. There are too many uh-huh. characters. There's too much like really, really long exposition. And if only, if only there was another like medium that this thing could get transported into where it's like constantly interactive and where you can, I don't know, follow along with various characters and like this, like open world concept of a thing that would be compelling. But I don't know. I don't think, we have something like that that exists. <laughs> I actually do think this this is a terrible thing to say, but this would make a better video game. Also, to be fair, like Wheel of Time is the fantasy series for guys who unironically say hail Caesar in their in their spare time. Like, I think the target demographic of video game would be perfect, anyways. Yeah, I I just I don't know. Uh, it, the whole show feels like it was built by mercenaries behind the scenes, and like there's no one who feels super connected into the books. There's no one who feels like they're have helmed anything for any explicitly long period of time. Where I feel confident and them knowing how to weave the strands all together of what the various plot points are. Um, case in point, you know, let's, uh, jump a little bit here because, uh, wizard woman, Moiraine and her, her best buddy in the whole world land, who we'll talk about his cast in just a moment. They arrive in the town. They meet all the special kids. She's like, some of you are the dragon reborn. Then a whole bunch of trolls attack their town and they're like, oh shit. Oh fuck. We got to get out of here. So they get out of there and then, um, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. There's also another character, uh, Naive. 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 She's Nynaeve. I would argue on the show she is the best acted character. 
great. Yes, it, <laughs> I I agree. In that she's the only one that gets a complex story arc. I to that I disagree <laughs> because when uh, we'll talk about her her development in a little bit here, but um. So she she's also there kind of as like the well she exhibits all of these other signs but she's too old you know um uh just really highlighting the hollywood machine I mean like I'm only too old by like a couple years no still way too old you ancient ancient woman the, the thousands of year old dragon prophecy that might you know qualify this 40 year old man that we see later as the dragon reborn that we're, we have to be open to but not to like the 26 year old woman right. instead of the 24 year old it makes a lot of sense here um so anyway the the trolls are attacking the village they they all kind of manage to escape and um uh Moiraine ends up getting hurt as a result of this and so then they kind of all have to keep traveling and the i guess the nearest big city on their journey is this town that looks like windows xp version of Minas Tirith of where it's like the shadow realm that exists the abandoned town so one thing in this, um, I, I know you made the point, and I really want to hammer it home earlier, that Moraine uh, kind of struggles with three uh, Trollocs. Uh, would it please you to know that according to the book's canon, she's the strongest caster at that point, up until the start of the books. She In the known world, she's the strongest caster. Great. Yeah. I, I'm, I have a feeling they might even like have told us that yeah. like in passing and yet, because that's the way that the show works is watch someone just get warped immediately. And they're like, Whoa, Oh, that person was the strongest one we ever had. I can't believe this is happening. Fuck the show. Oh my God. Um, so they, they get to Minas this Tirith. city. Yeah. Windows yeah. XP Minas Tirith. And they're like, oh, no one's here. There are no animals. Uh, everything's fine, I guess. Let's go inside. <laughs> because in the world where magic exists, this doesn't raise any red flags to the fucking wizard woman as they're traveling around. It isn't like this is the only way through. They could skirt on the outside. It's shown that half of the fucking city is on like a, a seawall of some kind overlooking a cliff. So to be fair, and this actually makes it worse, but I am going to defend it and then make it worse. Okay. Moraine is unconscious based on the trollic poison in her wounds. Uh-huh. And Lan, yeah. who's her warder, which is basically her appointed knight, makes the decision to go into the city. But they do it because the city, for some reason, keeps all the trollics away. So they're running from the horde. They're doing that thing where they're like, definitely running from things that should just be able to catch up to them in like three seconds. And then they get to the outskirts of that city and the Trollocs just stop. They're just like out Uh there. And uh, then they enter into the city knowing in fact that the city is bad, even though yes, they could have just skirted around it and the Trollocs were not approaching them. They go into the city for what appears to be no good reason. That's that's exactly my question of like if you're being chased by I don't know a snake in the jungle and the snake suddenly stops because you're running into a cave you shouldn't then think well this cave will be perfectly fine you know and then get like oh my god there's a T-Rex in this cave oh like the surprise is that it was a T-Rex not that there wasn't like some unspeakable evil monster lurking inside uh, and, and so it, it just feels 
very, very silly, uh, especially when, you know, they're kind of just like the evil that lurks in this place is the shadowy darkness that I'm like, okay. Uh, and I know that, you know, we, we can talk about this, but just all dark things equal bad or servant of the dark one uh, and all light things equal good, except sometimes because light can be bad sometimes you see um because i don't know the one group of knights templars who believe in using bleach in this godforsaken world are also like insane sadists so so yes the coding is not always subtle in fact it's never subtle oh, I- i'm sorry also i should clarify the one guy who's dressed in all white who's evil is black so uh, let's also you know not uh forget that oversight in a little bit also the the villager guy who ends up to be a spy is also black very woke show. <laughs> like, very woke yeah <laughs> i'm just I- i'm so happy with the direction that the show is going <laughs> So if you want the real answer as to why they have to go into the city, the, the city is actually called Shadar Lagoth. Uh, and it is a dead city that basically, so this world takes place in a quasi post apocalyptic world. Basically these things that are called Trollocs, which are like, they're like uh, this world's version of orcs. They're just, they're like really, they're like Centauri orc troll things. Um, uh-huh. At one point, there was a Trolloc war, and this was a long time ago. And these these Trollocs are creatures that serve the Dark One. So, in, in, once yeah. again, not always subtle. This you have to remember. Robert Jordan was writing at a time where you could just kind of reskin post biblical Christian mythology uh-huh. and call it a day. Yeah. So he created a One Power, and he created the Dark One, who is the opposition of the One Power. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm following. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, in okay? fact, it's, it's not. It, it, it's my, my, uh, my singular counterpoint to that is, even in a shitty movie like Thor to the Dark World, even they acknowledge that you need like a 90 second Anthony Hopkins exposition dump at the very beginning, and then you clear up a whole lot of shit for the remainder of your run. That time. comes in book three. I'm gr- great. Better late than never. When, when you realize that first and foremost, um, it becomes very clear that this is a biblical allegory. And it also becomes very clear that this is uh, the dragon, as it were. It's just supposed to be the Christ stand in. When uh-huh. they start naming all of the servants of the Dark One from the, tr- from the old war, which were things like Ishamiel and Lanf. Oh. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's oh, yes. Come on, guys. Uh, yes, we must defeat the great Satan. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah li- sure. literally. Uh, L- like, okay. Like literally, Satan. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. My general rule, as it applies to fantasy characters, is treat the Bible like they are Disney. Meaning, if your character names are similar enough to where Disney would sue you, aka if you had a Nicky Mouse level effort being put into your name, don't go that route. Similarly, don't go that route when you're dealing with like mythology at this level. But uh, it's uh, so the uh, the nicknames to the Dark One that are given later are so his literal name is. Sorry, it's not Shaitan. I shouldn't I shouldn't be so derivative. It's Shaitan. 
And his names Great. are also Father of Lies, Lord of the Grave, Heartsbane, Old Grim, mm. Father of uh, Storms. No, 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 no. You can't just also mash in like a couple Odin references. Exactly. And be, be like, oh, well, this also won't be problematic here. Anyway, here's a couple Viking runes that, that I'm going to throw in for no apparent reason. So, um, so the city, sorry to get off track, but the city that was, um, Shadow of Goth basically sealed themselves off from the rest of the world when everyone was calling for help against these hordes of Trollocs. And they completely, Great. they built an impenetrable wall and then eventually... That opened. What? The, the, the impenetrable wall that our characters walked right, right through. Right, that has like right. multiple gates and like a crack okay, cool. and just sewage drains. It doesn't have to make sense because it doesn't. <laughs> but eventually everyone has just disappeared from the city there's no bodies there's no nothing and it's all totally fine no no further explanation needed so the real reason by the way that they go to the city is because later on in the book series they need to have gone to the city to resolve a different plot point wonderful great and cool it just feels like as the function serves in the show, it is to just split up the characters. That's the function and serves in the book. too. To, and you know what? If I, if I hadn't seen game of Thrones and if I was like nine years old, I would give them a much greater pass. But the fact that game of Thrones set a blueprint on how you can immediately spin off six different storylines in one episode, not two and that then you can then carry forward with these various characters and diving into all the different aspects of the world that that sets the standard because if you can't do that at least just directly copy it it's supposed to be like their minds of moria but it doesn't work well enough because one you don't care about any of the characters enough yet and uh -huh. two the real reason they're there is so that all right so importantly the the shadow creature that is there is a it's called mashadar uh is so if if the dark one is the devil you know satan is the christian form of the devil mashadar yeah. is like an l is like nyarlotep or some sort of eldritch being so evil but a different type of evil has that evil ever fought the dark one very importantly yet yeah, no but as part of one of the plot points in order to cleanse the male half of the source uh, the Dragon Reborn channels it all through that city, forcing the taint of the city to fight the darkness in the source. I, oh, yeah, I just, know. I'm sorry. You know, no, it's okay. I just feel like maybe, because considering then what the season finale of this show actually was, if instead they had kept it smaller budget and the payoff was character development season one and then a special effects show off in season two where we get to watch satan fighting cthulhu that would be cool i would be into that but only if i had like a rooting interest instead of i i could care less <laughs> at, uh with the character motivation side of this because let me tell you the special effects are not selling me here like this is some like 2013 supernatural demon smoke level uh shadow creature that and runs it's around only gonna get here. worse in season two yeah because because their budget is getting absolutely obliterated because they actually got the rights to lord of the rings and so 
This is the USFL to the Lord of the Rings NFL, probably with also similar budgetary scaling factors. <coughs> but um, what a time. What a time to be alive. So let, let's follow these characters on their wonderful and great journey here. Um, so Egwin and Perrin, uh, they're followed by wolves, and we're not supposed to think anything too much about that. Uh, in terms of like, we're supposed to be worried for them and not thinking, wow, I guess one of their special abilities is going to be wolves. Because again, this is a Middle Ages-esque show and wolf power seems to be a thing. That's like what all of the Witcher is all about. They're called wolf witchers for Christ's sake. So, yeah. Uh, so Perrin just, specifically is what's called a wolf friend in the God, sh show. I know. It, man. I'm, so, God, I'm, so, so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay all right so he, he's a wolf friend he's a friend to wolves and this x-man power that he has about like using wolves to attack and protect him and egwin you would think that that would become like something he could utilize all of the time but it feels like they purposefully nerf him with this subplot of who he comes into contact with, which is these like weird hippie Quakers um, that are called the Tinkers that teach the way of the leaf, which is saying like, don't use violence, never use violence, which understandable in our modern society of which we have, where we there is a nuclear arsenal capability and of where there are other larger systemic factors that create violence and the the idea of pacifism and empathy can be rewarded. However, this is a world where fucking Trollocs exist and magic is real. And there is a character called the Dark One. And you are supposed to think that maybe we just won't use violence. Violence won't solve any of our problems. Because what if in the next wheel function shit goes wrong for them when the entire thing that I've been explained about the wheel and what makes this dragon kid so special was that he was a real violent son of a bitch before and he has the power now to make or break the world using his violence so the way of the leaf is part of Jordan's in the books Jordan's like weird form of like moralizing and sort of like looking at absolute morality as a whole it also sounds like what stoners would call their smoking club in college. So very, very similar. But it's this it's not just pacifism. It's it is complete form of like going with the flow. It's very much like accepting the whims of the wheel of time. Uh, and if the wheel of time puts you into a battle, will you fight in the battle? And once again, that's the problem is that the Jordan kind of positions it as being a moral alternative but then he really fades away from it overall like yeah <laughs> like because he creates a world where violence is inherently necessary he can channel wolves wolves man and he's not able to use this power at all except for when he gets captured by like this weird uh, order where they're trying to like I don't know, do like a purity test or something. It feels like I, I, I don't really want to 
bore people too much with the details, but he escapes and they're able to escape because he channels his wolf power and they're ripping motherfuckers throats out the entire time. How is that in the way of the leaf in any way? And then similarly, if the alternative is dying, then maybe the way of the leaf doesn't apply to special boys and special girls, which I'm not sure is a good moral line for a TV show to have so inherently. That is actually the um, premise that Jordan kind of runs with. And that's bullshit. That is just a way to backtrack. Like, well, yeah, sure. Like, normal people need to just go with the flow and be good soldiers following orders. But everyone else, they can be the ones to make the judgment calls because they're imbued with this divine right ability. Jordan really does go into this idea of like imbued with greatness, this idea that there are normal people and then those that are born to do great things. It's not great. It's not a good setup. And those people that have this like great responsibility uh, also have this great power. Uh, They inverse it. So that way then, you know, Marvel can't sue them uh, as it goes along. Um, I I, I just the entire time I'm thinking like this guy can can channel animals and it only gets used once in one aspect and don't worry it gets used a lot more but becomes infinitely weirder and makes a lot less sense as the as the books go along great i look forward to it in season eight when they finally get into like that the half the season eight that hybrid baby will for sure not happen by the way (laughs) (laughs) season three is probably not going to happen let's be honest with ourselves i i have my doubts about season two meaning a full season order taking place i think it might be a truncated season where they're like it's six episodes but everyone's cool with it right uh it, it seems very silly Okay, so let, let, let's look at what Matt and Rand are doing as they're running around because uh, they argue with each other about whether or not they should go home or go to the White Tower. And then Matt is like <laughs> slowly getting possessed in the lamest possible way where like his skin gets clammy. He gets cold. He has like the night sweats. And he just becomes and, more like, of an asshole. Yeah, and it just, I don't know. When they eventually encounter a town, they run into this character named Tom Marillion, I think is his name. Tom Marillion. It's it's supposed to be like Merlin kind of thing, yeah. I know. He's not actually Merlin, but it's supposed to be said close enough. Is he he not Merlin? He's not Merlin, don't worry. He is what he seems like he is. Which is like a, a... Bard comedian man. He's called. I'm sorry, a gleeman. Yeah, he's a gleeman. If this was a D and D world, he's like the only NPC with class levels that you'll meet. He's like a. <laughs> he's a retired level twelve bard. <laughs> this fucking sucks, man. <laughs> so he he gets introduced because he's like, oh, I'm doing my sing songy thing. Oh, I steal gold. Oh, like he has this tidal wave of charisma that just washes over every scene that he's in, not because he's an especially good actor or that his lines are especially well written, but just because he is capable at delivering these lines. And it becomes painfully obvious that these like 22 year olds that they cast really aren't like, I'm not sure. Like, 
again, the casting director needs to get fired because I'm not blaming these kids. I'm not saying that they themselves are untalented. I'm just saying that they're not being helped out with the production design. They're not being helped out with the script. And you, you need s- certain types of people with certain X factors if you really want to to convey a lot of things in a short way. It, it doesn't help that like the character you're supposed to relate to in this period of time is um matt as he's like descending into madness and he's like being dredged there he's supposed to be the charming rogue of the group but for some reason the show has written him to be just like they do a real quick thing in the first episode where like he's taking care of his two younger siblings because his parents are terrible human beings like his parents are utterly incompetent and uh-huh. he he's the only like his when the trollics attack in the village his parents run and hide and they just leave his like seven-year-old sisters to die and he has to run out and get them. So it's like, it's supposed to humanize him, but they immediately strip all interesting and humanizing characteristics away from him. So by the time he's going like corrupted by the dagger they picked up in the in the Shadow City, you're just like, oh, he's just being more of an asshole. He's never given a chance to be charming. So you just don't care. He's just the asshole character. Basic character construction. This is a season two storyline. Like you need to establish who his character is before he turns to the dark side or becomes an asshole. Hell, even if you like, just push it off a couple episodes, even if you just make it like so that by the time they all reunite, he's been assholeized. But like he's just like kind of irritable, but still like fundamentally like a, a charming person. Then yeah, he can get a harder edge through. As the I fully agree with you. Yeah, like th- there's a way to do it. Um, and, and it just feels like him being an asshole, them running into this rural family that where you, it's like, Oh, look at this cute little kid that this family has nothing bad's going to happen to this little child. None at all. None whatsoever. And they're like, well, all right, everyone time to go to bed. Even though an evil is chasing us, we're going to, you know, room with this family and then, Oh God. Oh no. Oh, this family is dead. And Matt is holding a knife, but we're supposed to believe that it was a shade or someone else who did it, which like he totally killed that family. Like you can't tell me that he didn't. There's kill like that a 50, family. 50% chance that it, it's implied. So the show is supposed to make it look, you're supposed to get like a double fake out where I uh, like, Rand wakes up in the barn and he finds like the daughter, the young daughter having been stabbed outside and then inside the mother and the father. And uh, Matt is just standing there with a dagger pointing it. And then and he's like, Matt, put the dagger down. But Matt says, I see you. And then it's clear that he's being like possessed by the dagger and then a fade, which is one of the other. So once again, the dark one has a huge army, each with uh, effectively like, I think the best way to describe it is like genetically modified monsters and each one serves uh-huh. a very specific purpose. So like the Trollocs are like, actually, you know what the best way to describe it is? It's just the fucking covenant from Halo. Mm. It's just, it's mm. the okay. same okay. structure. You got brutes, you know, Trollocs, you've got elites, the fades, you know, every single species has its own specific uh, bioessentialist role in the evil one's army. Honestly, good. Um, the evil one, like he might be evil, he might be manipulating all these people, but the man is making a, a functioning society take place, uh, bringing in all these different groups of people that wouldn't otherwise be aligned with each other and uh, creating like a cohesive society with structure. You got to admire that, really. <laughs>
Just saying, the dark one's raising some good points, especially when the alternative is bizarre Cthulhu monster, huh? Maybe, maybe, bizarre just maybe. Cthulhu monster, or or somebody who calls himself the dragon. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just like like this guy might be Satan, but he also, you know, isn't wearing eyeliner and like going to punk shows and hitting on like the fourteen year olds that go there, you know. So like, I don't think he's actually that much worse or better than the dragon he's just like a different kind of evil that takes place yeah the, the dragon is absolutely saying like well like she's like 17 now but you saying like in the wheel of time she's actually like a thousand two hundred and forty eight like uh-huh yeah sure bro uh-huh great great times ahead so yeah so the uh the bard tom marillin uh uh-huh. fights off the fade there and we're supposed to, it, it, like the two guys, the two special children run away and then he's, you know, the door is closed and he's still fighting off the fade. And he doesn't die on screen, so we're definitely supposed to believe he's dead. He's not dead. He, he's, like, <laughs> it, he doesn't, he's it, the only interesting character so far. But uh-huh. you know, we don't see him for the rest of the season. We're not going to see him for a long time. And he becomes exponentially less uh, important. But he's not dead yet. The, the advantage is that he will definitely be back again. Season eight, baby. Let, let's let's make it happen. Um, so they they uh, they escape and then they make it into this the city. They meet an ogre uh, or ogier, I think is the. It's supposed the to be like term. Jordan's versions of dwarves. They're like these. It's it's a species that are like these quasi mystical. Very, they're they're all characterized like Drax the Destroyer from the Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, where they don't understand metaphors. They're just like, yeah, it's it's a very tiresome characterization. But they're like these grand creatures that you know, it's like, oh, and this was an Ogier made city, or oh, this was an Ogier forged blade. I, I'm glad you know credit where credits do. They believe in trademarks. You know, uh, they, they didn't spend seven years at O'Gear trade school just so that way then people would uh, forget where their O'Gear diploma came from. So uh, credit credit to him. Um, but yeah, so the O'Gear is like, wow, Rand, your hair is so much different. I didn't realize you were in ale or AL or whatever the fuck it was. And they're like, no, I'm not that. I'm from this town of the two rivers. And is like, sure you are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yogi <laughs> functionally so loyal effectively serves an audience insert like oh you're the one redheaded person you we've ever met yeah you're not special no you're just like everybody else which you know to jump forward a bit here and i'm sorry that we're not um going through it episode by episode i just enjoy talking about like the character arcs as a whole so you know i also have horrible uh, add so i apologize to everyone listening to this no, no, th- this is going to be like a two hour podcast on Wheel of Time. And this is this is what the people deserve. If they're into Wheel of Time, you get this. You be happy that we are covering your precious content into your goddamn ear holes. So later on, there's the scene where we see Rand's dad. At, uh, the uh, battle is called the Battle of the Shining uh, Walls. And he encounters this pregnant woman who's called a maiden of the spear. And she's like in the throes of pregnancy and just murking people left and right. Like she takes out 12 guys on screen and some of what is the best 
action sequence set pieces and the most intricate choreography I've witnessed. It made me so mad because it showed me that this is what the show was capable of and we just didn't get any it of it. It genuinely is probably the best that that like I would say 3 minute stretch is probably the best set of scenes in the entire series so far. And, and I, I understand that, you know, I'm bitching about the special boy conundrum and I'm bitching about a lot of fantasy tropes, but I feel like we have moved forward enough as a society of where in, in a bizarre shift, we've almost moved up a generation where the preference point is no longer on the special boy or the special girl, but rather on the child of I'm not, I'm sorry, not the child of the parent of the special boy or the special girl. And so if I was to see what this maiden of the spears journey was uh, of like what her life was like and the obstacles and things she had to overcome because she is this, this great warrior and it does culminate in her dying and giving birth to someone who is, you know, the son that was prophesied, so to speak, and then having to give it the child away to her enemy and, you know, having to give it to the wheel of fate and trust in that cosmic sense of, of justice or whatever, that would be an incredibly moving culmination of an episode. And we don't get that because we have to spend more time on Matt and more time on watching land fuck and more time on CGI Trollocs getting obliterated. I, I, I don't feel like they understand what the human component is of the show. It's a remarkably more compelling moment because just like you were saying, like, so she is incredibly competent. Once again, competence is something that we have in very short supply in this show. People are not good at their jobs, but she is like blisteringly good. She's killing. She's dressed in like what's supposed to be like desert fairer robes, but they're on a snowy mountain, like a volcano, I think I actually. And she's just murking these guys like over and over again. Spears, just like two guys coming in. She kills both of them. She fights so many of them. Off. One of them does stab her. And she's left stabs her in the side and she bends. So where then the knife gets caught and goes up into her ribs. Like it was a defensive measure to protect her womb. Right. Like, it, like there, there was thought put into that choreography of how to line it all up to take place. Sorry. I don't mean no, to no, inter please. interject. It, but it's a really good I, point. Like it's, it's a, there's a level of care to the character that is put in there that is not put in, in most of the rest of the show. And especially when it comes to the, the action set pieces, which are kind of dull and lifeless a lot of the times. And yet this one action set piece is amazing. And then finally, she's left literally to hope that like her enemy will show mercy on, on a child. Like ultimately, it's not just she's pregnant, giving birth on a battlefield that she's pregnant, giving a birth on a battlefield. And the only witness is a guy who is on the same team as the people she just murdered. Yeah, she just murdered however many of his friends, of the people from his village, of you know what, all of that, and so you know it's it's just makes for an incredibly compelling moment that is just undercut because then it's like, oh oh, oh it was just a dream by Randall. Oh, better go do some archery real quick. I'm gonna <laughs> shake off this memory of my mom. <laughs> um, all 
So uh, let's let's though talk about uh, who we haven't talked about for for uh, about half an hour now. Um, let's talk about Lan and Mo- Moiraine, their journey. Because uh, I, I guess we should describe who Lan is for for people who might not know. Because he is kind of her right hand man slash. So la- oh sorry. No, go ahead, please, please. I, so all in the story in both the book and the movie in the television show world, all. Aes Sedai, which runs against that quasi-religious order of magical women, have what is called, or actually not all Aes Sedai, but most Aes Sedai, except for red Aes Sedai, have a warder. And a warder is just means a warrior who is magically bound to them, which is a, at one level, it is to be their guardian, but it creates an emotional entanglement that's kind of predatory in a certain way that like, like supersedes yeah. even like like love or any other thing and makes them connected on a level that's like deeply emotionally and they can feel each other's emotions very in tune and it's supposed to be it's pitched as this sort of like empowering thing of like you know so since men can't be channelers they can serve the channelers they can be their their guardians their 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 uh their strength their arms but once again it's again gender role and gender essentialism it's the idea that men are the physical combatants and women are the magical you know, yeah. I, I also the guys just get the shit kicked out of them the entire time, and then the women also get the shit kicked out of them. They are not good at their jobs. The warders is, is something I, I really want to to put a framework around because it seems to be a lot of like I am going to fight and I'm going to skirmish alongside you instead of I'm going to actively defend you from various attacks and it just that fighting dynamic that they have in action set pieces and sequences don't work at least in, in as it translates onto the screen for me. It's, it is very interesting because once again, you have this. So in the show, the source, this magical power is shown as kind of like sort of like soft telekinesis that can then, or it's like, it's a magical flowing power that can turn into something else. So you can throw rocks or you can cause wind to show up or appear bolts of fire, but it's like, again, one gun, one gun. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, it's very much like, it's like avatar, the last airbender, not the TV show, the movie motions of like, you know, like, let me move with this. And it's it, but it doesn't flow at all. Well with these, like, but are effectively like fantasy medieval warriors with like pretty typical weapons, except they're all kind of shitty. It's like because they give the whip the Aes Sedai treat it like it's just motions as opposed to an independent fighting style. Like that if they treated the the casting elements as a fighting style of where certain types of moves require a certain fluidity or rigidness, conversely, for certain manifestations it would make a lot more sense but it all just kind of looks like you're doing like old man uh tai chi practice outside like in a, in a big yard instead it's once again that weird thing where one we are supposed to like jordan and the show have set up this like soft matriarchal society of the Aes Sedai and their warders but still maintained um, the gender essentialism and the gender dynamics that we see only under patriarchy. So once again, men are the strong protectors with the physical aspects and women are the, you know, mystical and like intuitive and sensitive ones. And it, it's, it's in its attempt to be woke, as you could say, it actually does a disservice to 
any any like actual biting critique of patriarchy wonderful and great uh for the show i mean like the disappointment i think can be channeled a lot of of how i feel uh about the the commentary aspect uh, of you know treating the show as an allegory versus as pure escapism because as escapism it doesn't work if it's not enjoyable so maybe at the very least i can understand it as an allegory it falls apart though when um th- th- this character low game uh they encounter uh it's this guy who is claiming to be the dragon reborn he's this false messiah do you guys understand do you get it do you get it do you get they it literally call him um, a false dragon yeah, uh, so, you know, is it better to be a guy named Dragon, or is it better to be a guy who claims that you are Dragon, but you're not actually, like, fake Dragon? <laughs> also, the way they introduce him is also, he has a really cool action set piece where he wades into this, like, go ahead, Kelton. You can- That's, sorry, uh, and uh, well, let, let's talk about the set piece in just a moment. The one component to him that I thought was going to be not great, but the least different was I thought he was going to be someone who has that twin spirit element to him of having both a male and a female power within and channeling through him with those voices of what was taking place of like, oh, okay, it's a masculine presenting person, but if they uh, have this non-binary nature to them, that could be in this very, very, uh, you know, uh, like 1950s, 1960s interpretation of what that uh, gender norms could be. I'm, I'm kind of falling a little bit as I'm trying to to no, tiptoe around basically saying like it's a bigot trying to not be bigoted by coming off as best as he could for the time. But then it's not that at all. No. It's in fact, it's the madness, which then makes me wonder if that's not <laughs> that that interpretation feels like it could be dog whistling of its own kind. <laughs> Do you feel like you have male and female voices in your head? Well, congrats. You're insane. You deserve to be gentled. <laughs> It's important to note, first off, that the low gain in the show is very different than the low gain. So this is actually one of the things that I think is an interesting choice the showrunners did, which is there are too many characters in Wheel of Time. There are actually too many characters in the show still. They kept too many characters, but there are way too many characters in the book that are important to actually keep up with them all the time. Um, if they're not going to do a Game of Thrones style thing where you kind of just lay plotline dormant for a long time and like switch around episode by episode. Um, Loghain in the books doesn't show up till much later, and he effectively only shows up once the male half of the one power has been cured and he can cast. And he becomes like effectively the second in command of the male channelers. Mm-hmm. Um, that would make sense. I, I think the choice to make him an antagonist in the show is interesting. It, for two episodes. For two episodes. But he's also... He is interesting in the show, and I do agree that there's this weird sort of like, I don't know if you'd want to call it ableism, but this sort of like, if you are mad that you are too dangerous to be left alive, but also, yes, if you think that you are hearing- They lobotomize him. Yes, effectively. That's essentially what they do. They give a magical lobotomy to him because- 
even though he may not be inherently evil right now, he could manifest and be a problem later on. You know, it's like, you know, uh, if you're a, a Kennedy daughter who's getting a little too mouthy, you know, just a real quick up the nose and then uh you know no one's problem now you suddenly enjoy baking a whole lot don't you um <laughs> that's that's kind of what they do with Logan because the way he's introduced is that he's waging war but we don't know for sure whether or not he's actually the aggressor like we don't know whether or not he is the invader they they kind of skirt around that he definitely has the upper hand right now but it's introducing media's rest and so we don't quite know where the the problems and where the conflicts leading up to this moment truly were and so when it looks like he has absolute victory within his clutches and he is about to you know, be urged to kill this this king and to seize his power but instead shows mercy and basically says like join me in this fight let's try and change the world let's try and make it a better place and then they're like oh well he's he's crazy oh we can't let him stay it's fascinating because once again the world is shown to be very bad it's it's shown to be bad for everyone also he's um incredibly powerful he's shown he's like it's this it's this like desert city it's like vaguely sort of like mediterranean or north african or middle eastern sort of thing and he's 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 wading into this city by himself as the battle's going on elsewhere just taking people out and he finally reaches the king and the king's like you'll you know we've we will stop you here and stuff but he instead of the voices come to him and be like you should kill him like that's the practical thing to do and he resists the urge and heals the guy so once again, it shows the madness, but also shows that he is. So yes, he's experiencing the madness, but yet somehow he's triumphing over it. And we're not supposed to see that as also, positive. It, it, is that actual madness though? Or is that just someone's inner dialogue saying, Hey, you know, that guy that you're waging a war against, you should probably kill him. That, that doesn't seem like that's madness speaking, you know, uh, to, to have that level of just a dialogue within yourself. Like, oh, you experience self-doubt? You have conflicted thoughts about anything? Just real quick. Uh, it, it just feels like it's such an arbitrary way to draw that line in the sand for what was a compelling character. And I, I don't know if he's going to become like an advisor to Rand or whatever in season two or how they're going to do it. I don't know either because they've at this point they have severed his connection. So basically we actually don't even meet him when he's under his own power. We meet him captive. Uh, so a bunch of Aes Sedai, including the red Aes Sedai have captured him and they are He's fucking red eyes to die led by a caitlin bennett looking motherfucker so, <laughs> the entire time for those of you who are have not read the books first of all good for you read other <laughs> fantasy ursula k Le Guin, great you know brandon sanderson even same amount of world building a little bit of mormonism in there still good but fucking even comic books yeah <laughs> just <laughs> Um, so the I, would, I would much rather someone be into Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns with a super fascistic Batman than into Wheel of Time. <laughs> like I, I, I it's at least shorter. Express. It's shorter. <laughs> okay. um, so uh, the Aes Sedai are divided into five chapters, basically. 
um, uh-huh. and they're bicolors because once again, this is how everything. They're basically the Magic the Gathering colors. Actually, they're exactly the Magic the Gathering colors. So it's um, the red Aes Sedai are the like the fighting Aes Sedai, and they don't have warriors. They they hate men. Their sole purpose is to hunt down um, male channelers. They all have dyed blue hair and nose piercings. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the show does like. So in the books, so this is actually one thing where the books are more woke in a certain sense than the show. The book actually, the books place their uh, misandry as being it, like ultimately that it is a patriarchal world and that, that it actually makes sense. Like within the world that they are in, even with all this power that, that I said I have, women are still marginalized. And so this this like fiercely independent group actually serves a, a very interesting purpose. Um a marginalized group holding on to a small element of power that they have in a niche corner pocket of a society. Hold on a second here. Oh no, they're definitely bad guys. Exactly. Oh, let's kill these people. The show makes them into like very brutal, this idea of like that they are just bloodthirsty and that they hate men and that that's bad and that it's going to end up killing the world. Uh, then there's the green eyes to die, which are actual, they are also warriors. They're just not warriors that specifically hunt down men. They're just general warriors. Good, good for them. Yeah. Then there's the blue Aes Sedai, which is what Moraine is, which are the scheming, like, 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 oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be scheming. I'm gonna be scheming. Also, really nice that they still keep the color codes the entire time. Yep. You know, like, real, real good espionage tactic. Here. <laughs> like, all right, if you encounter a blue Aes Sedai, they're a spy. Oh, we just came across a blue Aes Sedai. Are you a spy? I can't tell you if I'm not a spy or not. I can't lie. I am an Aes Sedai. Answer these riddles three, <laughs> and you shall just, just fucking, uh, uh, God. <laughs> and then there are the yellow ones, which we don't see, which are the healing ones. There's also white Aes Sedai, but I don't actually remember what the hell they do. <laughs> we didn't talk about the white Aes Sedai <laughs> and, and their robes as they travel around in groups trying to get rid of anything dark that they might come across. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> So so Loghain is basically they I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dred. They erect a giant flaming <laughs> burning uh, symbol of a dragon. Right, yeah, I was gonna say burning <laughs> dragon on people's lawns. <laughs> so there is actually a sixth chapter, which is the black Aes Sedai, which are the evil Aes Sedai. Uh, of course. Okay. <laughs> Getting real real cute. You couldn't have gone with another color scheme, the gray even. You know, no, like no, it has to be the black ones. Black is evil in this world. Got it. Okay. So we uh, find Loghain like effectively under what's called a web, which is basically they're just using their psychic powers to keep his psychic powers from activating. And they need two of the most powerful at any given time because he's so powerful. And we've been shown their power levels before, right? They're not just telling us that these are two of their most powerful casters, right? Oh, uh, actually, right? <laughs> we, we walk into them. It's just like, oh, I know we have a exposition conversation where uh, a green Aes Sedai is like, Moraine, I know you are one of the most powerful of the Aes Sedai, but it takes two of us that are almost <laughs> as powerful as you to keep him suppressed. Do you want to take a shift? <laughs> yeah, they basically ask her to chip in for the Aes Sedai potluck that is uh, trying to keep this guy under wraps. And um, man, I, I just uh, th- this show, man. Um, so they 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 
do, though, manage to keep him chained and keep him locked up until he is able to just escape. And it's almost through collateral damage that, like, shit gets real fucked up of where, like, let me bring this thing in that definitely won't break into six different pieces and go off like a grenade. The entire time I was thinking, man, a grenade in this world. Oh, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. A landmine? Oh, my God. <laughs> they would worship you as a king. If the, <laughs> you just set up a landmine somewhere and blew someone up. Kelton, has, like, oh. Kelton has, an, uh, has finally discovered, by the way, the appeal of being transported to a medieval timeline where he would reign as God from knowing simple <laughs> science tricks and or being from Texas and having a gun on him at all times. <laughs> it's basic saltpeter, you know, that and also knowing like how to wash my wounds out. They would be like, he's immortal. Nothing can kill this man. I once saw him stub a toe and he lived. Oh, they didn't even need to amputate he anything. He eats fruit and doesn't vomit his guts out. <laughs> he can drink water without becoming a shell of a man. <laughs> it's it's magic water, though. He heats it, you see, until it is bubbling and steaming. And then he waits for it to cool before drinking. Uh, this crazy, uh, his machinations, truly evil. Yeah, I, I would get magic lobotomized for sure. He lived to uh, 58, in, uh... the oldest anyone has ever lived. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I'm just saying like, yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that they should lean into the jokes that we're making for season two, but just the idea of like, what if crocodile Dundee existed in the wheel of time universe is a delight to me <laughs> just to see, um, crocodile uh, reborn. <laughs> see it works incredibly well <laughs> he's got a little pontoon boat that he's driving around uh okay so uh back back unfortunately to the show uh that, that we're talking about here um so yeah uh the the false dragon he's manages to escape because someone tries to attack him he's able to crack like the axe or the sword or whatever it was into a thousand pieces. It goes off like a grenade. People get wounded. Uh, people are having to lay hands on everyone. Uh, one of the Aes Sedai dies though. And I wish I could say I was sad about it. Only I didn't really know her. And the uh, whole idea of like, Oh, the weight of loss is only being transcribed through uh, her warder that gets kind of like a super sad boy, uh, like five minute clips over two episodes C plot of him just being sad. It goes nowhere. Cause he ends up killing himself out of sadness, which um, when you're dealing with invading forces, maybe you just have him run a suicide mission. It's just like, like I don't know if that's what happens. It's inception levels of being fridged. So uh, Kareen, who is his eyes and I gets fridged to make him kill himself, which develops lands character. I like it. I like it. 
because you know Lan, who had his, an entire kingdom get fridged, uh, so that way then he could have sad mopey sex with another of the characters, and then pillow talk afterwards, where you find out like he's the rightful king of a realm. Which there are so many kingdoms here. It kind of feels like it's less an actual kingdom and more like your dad was the head of an HOA board. And you just kind of called yourself king uh, in this bizarre post-apocalypse. A post-apocalypse, by the way, that, again, we went to the Middle Ages. There's no carryover. There's no anything uh, that's left. No hint of it whatsoever in the show. Look, at least we're not in the Shannara. That's a different bad fantasy series, which has the same premise of high technical world that's been reset into... The Dark Ages, except that one is explicitly saying. our world. Oh, well, that that might be fine. I would love to see proto-caveman with a, a laser weapon Gatling gun and, type thing. And that one was done on MTV. Oh, well, see, perfect. Yeah, Heavy Metal 2040. Let's just make that. <laughs> I'd be way into that show. But alas, uh, instead, I have to keep trudging forward with this because uh speaking about uh trudging forward uh we we get a time jump of a month where they're like we've been traveling for a month but, uh, I, I actually want to stop you for i apologize and i apologize to everyone go for it go for it so there's one important thing that happens so um the false dragon kills or mortally wounds everybody but nine who we've seen like twice now who's come back into the show after tracking down lan and moraine like explodes in a magical energy of light and cures everybody magically. She's, yes. she's more, she's the specialist girl at the ball. <laughs> and, and so, go and so Lan, of course, because he is a, uh, a puppy dog to power ends up uh, hooking up with her because she's now the new hot shit across. And the, the interesting thing is that it's supposed to, because once again, the show wants to maintain the illusion that we don't know that the one redheaded kid in the village is the special boy, the specialist special boy. So all of a the sudden, redheaded like, kid from the magical the warrior bloodline, right? Redheaded kid from the magical warrior bloodline. I need to emphasize this. <laughs> redheaded kid from the magical warrior bloodline could be the special kid, but is it actually this person who just showed up and just showed the most powerful display of Aes Sedai magic we've ever seen? Which they keep telling uh-huh. us after and over and over again. And, and and to be fair, they do show us at least her levels. So I will give her credit in, in that sense. She is the most fleshed out character because they give us a couple spirit bomb level uh, incidents instead of just telling us about what she would be capable of doing. So um, congrats. Let's do more of that in, in the next season. Um but yeah, so she does the spirit bomb. People get healed. Everyone but that one Aes Sedai. Who's, and then who that died too long ago, apparently. Sucks to suck, okay. I would say, to her. Oh, maybe if only she had like a warder that was in front of her uh, instead. But, you know, it's fine. He was out doing spiraling choreography in the forest in a very <laughs> bad action set piece amongst the leaves. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like they they found out by where Blair Witch Project was made, and they're like, "Look at this magical world!" Oh, it doesn't look like we're shooting in Ontario in the background. Right? They didn't. They wanted to hide the fact that they had twelve extras, so they did it in the woods where they could just film the same twelve extras running through the trees over and over again. Uh, it man, it was. There's something truly to be said about them not wanting to do an open casting call. Like I, I forget like who the, the, the quote was, I think it was from the people who did a lot of the costuming for Lord of the Rings, but they, they basically said, if you think a scene needs 10 people in order for you to sell, uh, you know, uh, something to be functioning, you need to have 40 people. Cause then if you don't show, 10 to 15 of those people you're actually still going to show all of them but it's going to be parts of them you aren't going to have to strategically place those 12 to make it look like there's actually 20 like it's just basic extras uh with logistics and they don't do that but it's fine because we transformer we move forward a month um and uh uh we go to the isodai tower the white tower the white tower is the good place you see because it's the White Tower, and uh, Moiraine has been traveling for twenty years. I think they say. Yeah, she's been right? she's been out and about. So, so she was a hot teen herself when she first left, and then you know she comes back as still hot but just older. And she's Rosamund Bike. Yeah, she's I mean, like it, I think the biggest name actress in the show. Yeah, uh, hands down. <laughs> I mean, um. <laughs> so she talks uh we get this like um uh scene well actually let me rewind it a little bit because they arrive into the city and they kind of are like meeting up with all the characters and they're like oh man shit's fucked up yeah shit is fucked up matt's been a real asshole we're like what do you mean matt's been a real asshole like well ever since he touched that magical dagger thing he's uh been just a real son of a bitch and i kind of want to kill him but i'm not going to say that because i'm his friend and i'm good but I think about it oftentimes at night <laughs> I'm alone with my thoughts about how easy it would be. So they also do this really interesting thing where Moraine, all of the characters get into the city at different points and they, so they're there and they, Moraine talks to them. She's like, oh, when your friends get here, oh, I, I've got people looking for them. And they set up this like pointless thing where like, it's supposed to be like, you're not supposed to trust Moraine. Cause like she's hiding the fact that the different people have gotten into the city and she already has met up with them, but it goes nowhere. Like they just meet up. It, it's, it's it, an episode of, it's just an artifice to keep them separate. still. So. yeah. Uh, and and uh, it doesn't work. Cause then like 30 minutes of screen time later, they're all together. So it it doesn't even serve the function of keeping them apart. They might as well just all kind of show up together. But um, I I don't want to I don't want to forget the scene where um the Aes Sedai chambers, the governing council body, they're kind of doing their their special reports, and um, she is talking with the Amarillion. It's the Amarillion seat. Amarillan seat, which is both a title and also a position. Um, regardless, uh, just kind of getting uh, just real, real uh, uh, bitched out, for lack of a better word, about like the the attitude that all the Aes Sedai had. Uh, real loose grip this seat has on the Aes Sedai's activities when you think about it in a disciplinary fashion. 
And the logic uh, made all that much more sense to me once I found out that I think the Amarillan seat is just having sex with all the Aes Sedai because they're secret lovers uh, between Moiraine and the uh, and the seat. But there's nothing that says that they were exclusive. Moiraine's been out for like 20 years, not supposed to have hooked up with anyone else during that time. It's important no. to note, by the way, that this the the relationship between Moraine and uh, Sichuan, um, uh, I believe her name is, I, ca- I can never say her name because they gave her a, a purposely ter- a, like hard to pronounce name. Oh, see you in. Yeah. Swin sin. Oh yeah. Uh, so the Emerald. No, not seat. sin. Cause that would be a bad, a bad character name. We're, we can't use that. So, um, they are not, uh, together at all in the books. That is a completely like, uh, show invention, but they are working Forced together. Diversity. <laughs> it, 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 so once again i i get it but it feels very like performative it's for the sex position it's sex position well, it's i think it's performative for the male gaze in a certain sense too because it, it is supposed to be like it, it was not performative. i understand it was sorry. not performative because it's it was a bizarrely was... sexless thing but like it, at least like most dispassionate lesbian kiss i think i've I've ever witnessed on screen between two actors. It felt like, like, fine, we'll do one take. We'll do it once. And we each get like $30,000 extra in our acting clause. If this makes the air. But so, so they had to offset the uncomfortable queerness that they had. So some of the warders. So if, if a, an Aes Sedai has multiple male warders, then maybe those male warders, you know, end up together too. Cause you know, you have I to would hope what, I would hope for them. Yeah, well, they good, do. Like, it, it's explicitly put that way in the show. So there's the the um, South Asian Aes Sedai who we talk to a lot. Like uh, she has two male warders who are hooking up together. They, they've got a polycule going on. Like good for them. But like that's yeah. that's a very like for the male power fantasy. You know, straight men don't want to see two men imply that they might kiss. Maybe no, off screen definitely somewhere. not kiss. That's why we have to have them be sweaty and all oiled up and shirtless with rocking eight packs the entire time, like roided out salamander creatures <laughs> just <laughs> walking around. But yeah, but if you show a theoretically emotionally passionate connection between two men and then imply that maybe off screen somewhere they might hold hands or something, you have to balance that off with safe uh forms of of queerness that men can then you know dispassionately be like oh yes that's the kind that i like to watch <laughs> uh yes i definitely enjoyed watching this uh uh-huh. it didn't make everything come to a screeching halt as i was trying to blitz my way through these episodes and go why the fuck am i watching this at my tv over and over again i think more importantly what it does is it it is a shortcut to a level of trust that the two characters have in each other that is established in the books that they've basically been in this like um uneasy that they, they were effectively both the apprentices of the last Amarlin seat and they both are the only ones that know about a prophecy about the dragon returning and know the correct timeline of that prophecy so they've been yeah, working weird in, that they're the only ones right who know about this magical prophecy except all the bad guys know. To, yeah right so and the bad guys don't tell anyone right except the villagers that also then know right and they're I, I know. And the bards. But <laughs> and- <laughs> most specifically, they're the only ones that know the exact timeline. So they're the only ones that know that they're the right age or something. And so. Well, but even they don't know. Because right. remember, Moiraine's going like, I've been to all these other villages and they've told me their tales of the dragon. And so I know less now than I did before. I don't. I'm not going to tell you they're good at their jobs. 
but they are they are awful objectively but theoretically like, for the is... last 20 years they've been fumbling around looking for the one redheaded kid in the entire world uh they did they were they were looking for q is what it was these are QAnon type people <laughs> that are going through all of the different chans and trying to find out like well who could it be q i've reborn. heard legends that it might be this guy <laughs> over in this place it's actually a surprisingly accurate way yeah so but like we're supposed to understand that they have effectively a two decade old partnership of like a, a, a professional relationship that leads to but a they huge... haven't been together in 20 years right but that's the thing is that the show wants us to shortcut that level of trust because we're supposed to see them at odds and then oh they're, they're trusting each other and they shortchange it by showing like emotional entanglement to make us be like oh if they're in love they must trust each other it, it's a it's a manipulation tactic that the showrunners do to make us not question any form of like how how did they build this trust and how did it come no instead they were you know apprentices together and fell in love and they've been on this secret mission but they still harbored that love it, it makes us not it helps us suspend our disbelief in this show that so desperately fails at making us ever suspend our disbelief i i was gonna say the mission failed overall there like at some point if you're writing a show you're like well people aren't going to suspend their disbelief so we might as well lean into the like oh that was actually a pretty fucking sweet aspect to it like i don't know that cool hand-to-hand -hand fight that happens later on uh chronologically in the show like i i still thought that was cool i i might think the show is shit but you know like uh it just feels like uh they they don't know what to do but I we I will not continue to to vamp on about a scene that lasts about I don't know forty years too long is what it feels like in my head. Uh, so anyway, uh, Moiraine Mo uh, she gets uh, banished from the White Tower, but it was all a ruse because the the, the originally she was going to get kind of put at a desk job, and instead by getting banished, she's able to still go do her good work. She gathers up all the kids, and they're like, "All right, we got to go through these magic portal things that we haven't talked about before in the show, but these magical portal things are real and they they exist and they're important." And also, all of you but the dragon are going to die if you go through it. Yep. Okay. We're, we're fine. We're all good. Let's go. Like, some of you may die, but that is a price I am willing to pay. It's a very Can Lord Farquaad moment. Um, uh, I need you to explain these portals to me, Dread. Okay. So, the way gates, as they're called in the books, are... So, remember how I, we talked about the Ogiers before, which are like the, the standard for dwarves, basically? So at yeah. one point in the in the pre, so they go back. Sorry, to go back to the <laughs> no, very it's fine. very beginning for for people listening to this podcast still at this moment. Number one, great job. Number two, I want you to envision Dread having a stroke, like eyes rolling back into his head as he was realizing just how much uh, having to explain to me <laughs> all at once. <laughs> What's that? It's going on. So uh, incredibly my shit. But I, I'm sorry. Please, please go ahead. So the, the dark one. Um, so the the last dragon tried to seal the dark one. He was a good guy, but he fucked up and he did succeed at sealing the dark one and preventing the dark one from spilling over. But he he and his thousand warriors, which was down to like 69 warriors at the end. Nice. Uh, went completely mad <laughs> because they were like hyper powerful, like male casters. And 
uh, they destroyed the world afterwards. And it's like supposed to be this like al- an, like allegory for male aggression and stuff. Um, uh-huh. Once again, problematic. Uh, but the <laughs> during that time, the Ogiers had created these beautiful societies, these wonderful cities, and most importantly, these way gates, which were these portals that led into what at one point was this beautiful like sort of internal sort of like the Minecraft world, basically with flowing green Uh grasses and bridges and stuff. That was a shorter destination between things, but also it itself was a beautiful like place. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. And then they got destroyed. And now it's a world. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Suck on that. Oh, gears, huh? The might of man (laughs) ruling through our species destroys not only everything around us, but also half of our own other species that we do in our fanatical quest. My, my, my question though, about these portals though, seriously is why was this not used for transportation purposes? It seems like this would have revolutionized the shipping so, industry elements. At one point it was. So literally transportation was very easy. And once again, it's like supposed to be this like magical high age. And this is a, a really common fantasy trope actually that shows up in a lot of other things is um, so you, and a lot of times in fantasy shows, especially in games, you'll see like old roads, like ruined roads overhead and like a, a decay and a collapse of, infrastructure specifically transportation and shipping infrastructure is a visual shorthand for the collapse of empire and actually not to get on my leftist sort of like soapbox here but if we look at our own history especially in the west that is that comes directly out of the transformation from the uh slave society mode of production and the empires to feudal modes of production so the the literal collapse of the Roman Empire was the collapse of the roads. So Rome stretched for an immense amount of area, but it became too large to govern from a single central body. And so instead, feudalization of local areas occurred. And the visual sort of shorthand for this is the collapse of infrastructure, the collapse of the roads that connected to the hub of road. Similarly, the way gates represent clumsily in this case a collapse of infrastructure where at one point they were literally being able to walk wherever the fuck they wanted to pretty quickly you could you there was no disconnect no amount of travel lag between you and your family in any city and yet now you live in a disparate world completely disconnected based only on local power have we considered maybe that uh one of these people might rely on an elder statesman to perform a massive way gate infrastructure bill that, that way, then we could pass the um, cast back better plan uh, for everyone. That way, then we can, in fact, visit family members. But in gatherings, not more than seven people because, you know, the plague exists in this world. And, you know, we, we don't want there to be other problems. I mean, like if COVID gets inside the way gates, oh, my God, like you think Trollocs are a problem. Just wait. <laughs> they're, they're too big on make Shadar Lagoth great again right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh uh god I I the idea I was thinking about with this world was you could have an entire kingdom inside these way gates and that then it could be like a pocket dimension at one point that literally in the at least in the source material that's literally what it was effectively the ogier kingdoms yeah. were or the steadies were access to So them. how did they lose it it got so that there's the the, Can you the not weird break wind. the gates? Well, it, in the age of breaking, as the 
the last dragon fucked everything up. It all got fucked up. <laughs> the age of breaking. Yeah, I don't okay. think it's actually okay. called the age of breaking, but I think it's referred to that as a couple of times. Basically, I'm sure it's it's definitely a way better name. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's probably uh, as worse. We, yeah, as we look at the way gate, the way to get in through the gate. Uh-huh. Indeed. All right. Uh but now I there's an evil wait. entity I, that lives in there, and if you channel uh-huh. it, fucks you up. Yeah, I'm gonna use my black powder from my fire stick <laughs> to really make some people pay in this world. If you if you, uh, if you are still here, the ending thesis you should leave with is that Kelton does think that he could rule this world with a single gun, and he's probably right. I just think to fire it once, and then people, the legend will spread. And then the eyes to die will come for me, and then I'll shoot one of them, and then they'll be like, oh my god, oh, this magic, we've never encountered it before. Uh, and even if yeah, they magically lobotomize you, it won't stop the gun from working. That's exactly right. That's that's bullet number three. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they don't know what to do. And then their sad boy warders are killing themselves in sadness. Especially if I knock out that one with the polycule. That's a two-for-one deal on my part. I'm three bullets in, and I've already gotten a small fiefdom for myself set up. <laughs> uh... So they uh they go in through these way gates and the Ogier in just a real asshole fashion is like, oh, oh, these look so much different. They've uh, been corrupted and, and marred uh, in, since the last time I saw them. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you saw them? Please tell me. I have no idea how long you elemental creatures live exactly. So was that? Six months ago was this like yesterday? Everything was fine. Yeah, I, came I, out, I came out and checked, and it was supposed to be great, and yet now it's all <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah, like was it seven hundred years ago? Like I, it, I have no scope for this, and so uh, they they uh, the whole merry band travels through except Matt, and Matt's like, no, uh, I can't go with you. I have to go get uh, recast. I- <laughs> and they're like oh no matt oh why it's very much like uh willy wonka like no don't stop kind of thing on moy rain's part which i i did enjoy <laughs> she's like it wasn't him he wasn't going to be the dragon reborn realistically i was bringing a body that i was hoping could block for me as a trollic swings its sword at me because i just got my shoulder fixed i don't want to go through all of that again um, on the other it, end of things, she calls basically sends a message for the red Aes Sedai to hunt him down like a dog. Like, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I I, I understand Moiraine. <laughs> if I had to spend like six months on a road trip with a real asshole, and then someone was like, "Hey, yeah, can uh, we make do something that would make sure that he gets lobotomized?" Then yeah, sure, uh huh. We're we're fine with it in this world. I'm just saying this is a pro lobotomy style civilization that is taking place, and um, so Matt is off and you know again to get recast. So can't wait for him to be like blonde and Australian for some unexplained reason to come back. You know, um, <laughs> it'll be fine. Also, it, so it's this the split there does not happen in the books. But it's good because we get one less character to focus on. Also, he was profoundly annoying. The show started to pick up momentum again once it got rid of him. Right. Objectively, the show was better without him. But 
uh, while they're in the way gates, they encounter a Trolloc, and then uh, Egwin's able to repel a Trolloc, but that use of the one power attracts something called... <sighs> Go say it. The, bl- <laughs> the Black Wind, because it can't just be the wind <laughs> it has to be the black wind is there a white wind no there's just the black wind and so they're they're just being racist and, well, and to be fair they could have just called it by its like in-universe name which is like matching shin or something joe mansion uh-huh. shin but it's <laughs> they don't they have to call it the black wind and all it does the is black it just, wind is coal <laughs> and all it does is it just it shows you your deepest fears it's like a very normal fantasy trope. And their deepest fears. They suck. Let's, their let's, deepest fears are let's terrible. Di- let's dive into this, because this this shows me that I'm too old to watch this show. That was my realization point. This is a show meant for high schoolers. This is a show meant for people who are in like their freshman year and are like posting Aristotle quotes on TikTok and thinking like that they're so deep, you see. So the like, only- this it Oh, go ahead. It, it really, sorry, like it, it really feels that way because it's a CWS scene where like one character's deepest fear is I don't actually think that I loved my wife as much. And that's lesbian why. Lesbian coded wife. Yeah, sorry. Lesbian coded wife uh, as much as I love someone else. Yeah, it, it, That is your deepest fear? Like that, you, that is the level of a- it people eating monster recently yeah like that would be it It, it'd be like well what's your deepest fear i mean i guess before it was the idea of death but now it's the fear that cthulhu's maw will open and i will be swallowed remaining conscious as i fall into a nothingness eventually losing my sense of self and place in the universe being nothing more than a voice in darkness being compelled by my own emotions and relatability of being alone and isolated but yeah i guess like maybe if i didn't like my wife as much as i thought yeah that would also suck too like what what is this the other the only fear that is at all interesting and isn't just to set up character tension later is nine whose fear is that she's not going to be able to protect the younger special children basically that is a normal fear right, that's just that a normal is fear. a bullshit maybe i'm not good enough yes. yeah maybe you aren't objectively speaking you have every reason to think that you aren't when you're going up against the fucking dark one. <laughs> like, you know, like sometimes guys, I think I may not be as powerful as Satan. No, like no, no one said that you were, I'm sorry, Nynaeve, that you were ever under the impression that like you could ever be as powerful as Satan. Let's just, let's nip it in the bud right now. No, he will, he will stomp you. You are like a crumb to him, power level wise. And it's hubris on your part, if anything. Your deepest fears should be thinking that he would remember you as he obliterates you from the face of the earth. Like that should be the thing that then you're afraid about is that not even your enemies feel your impact whatsoever. Like, (laughs) again, it just, it's it's so rooted in that like prepubescent mindset and that or i guess the puberty mindset even of well maybe i'm not like as awesome as i think i am maybe i'm only like kind of awesome it's yeah it's <laughs> at least it's like not well maybe i didn't actually love my wife who i accidentally killed in the midst of being attacked by 
giant man orcs. <laughs> just you know, again, I hate to be this guy, but if you're going into a hostile territory and you're going into a way gate and you need all the allies that you can possibly muster. If you had, I don't know, a hypothetical ability that would allow you to control an army of wolves at any time, maybe bring the wolves in as like an advanced scouting party. No, you can only- I'm not saying the wolves will like beat the Trollocs, but like they could be useful in some way. So the uh, the important thing to understand is that this, the seeing your fears only exists as a reason to do two things. So that, that whole conceit of that scene is one to make tension for later and two, to make them bail out and go to an earlier than expected way gate. So instead of dumping out right out in front of where they're supposed to be, they got to dump out out in the middle of the desert at a, at this fortress city. One exit. up. Yes. They're a day's journey away. Yeah, literally. It's like, also, <laughs> are they saving that much time? How close are these things? That's it. That's my point, too. It's like, I mean, the foot traffic alone just seems like it would be insane. Is this like the HOV lane, but for magic people? Is this, you know, is this the toll road equivalent? Is that like what the, the, uh, the orc, uh, orakai, uh, not orakai, or, or what, what are they called? Trollocs? The or, tro- no, the other ones, the, the dwarf people. Oh, gears. Oh, gears. There we go. I'm I'm orc racist. I'm ogre racist. So uh, it's also important. So a major point is made. It's an ogre who spent a semester in France. Right. That, that's what it is. Like, oh, no, I'm an ogre, you see. Uh, <laughs> a major point is, is brought about that, oh, the enemy is finally using the way gates to get around. Like, first off, why the fuck didn't he already? Clear, clearly, this is something they could do. So why not? Like, it's not like it seems like locked. he might actually have already been. Right. Like... <laughs> But it's like, oh, they're using them. So they get to the Fortress City, and it's like, the Fortress City has some problematic racism in it, too. Oh, yeah. No, let's please. I thought all the characters were incredibly well fleshed out. As you had the uh, Asian man with the, I must die an honorable death to avenge my family. (laughs) This is my father and grandfather's armor that I'm not going to wear. Surely this won't make me get mashishkabobbed by a spear later on. Kind of pointlessly, too. We'll, 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 We'll get on. We'll get to that. But... So the the fortress city is this like city that holds back the corruption or the blight, which is this like looks like trees that is the bad guy's power slowly overwhelming society, like creeping into the world. And they hold back the spawn of Trollocs. But they clearly are doing a terrible job because there's just fucking Trollocs everywhere behind them. Like, yeah, it, uh, it, it makes a big deal that this is like protecting the world from Trollocs. But like there were like a thousand Trollocs in that village like two months ago like well you see that they they populate they breed they form a society and soon trollic jesus will come around uh we'll have the trollic dragon honestly like i would kind of be like willing to follow that storyline of like what if there was like a a trollic that had sentience and was trying to inspire culture like from the barbarianism that that element but they make a fine. big deal Love about it. how there's oh there's trollocs in the way gates and then it just never comes up again like there is a siege but it's, it's not a plot point they don't come from behind or anything no also i i feel like 
if your biggest worry is that the wind is going to whisper fears to you and that's the other reason that you shouldn't use the way gates like just just accept it and get over it you knock them down like, at that point it's just like <laughs> fine whatever so they they do transport into this magical land that uh, as you were mentioning is like the the you know um, um i guess minas tirith it's like it's a it's like a cliff top city it's supposed to be like an amalgamation of like middle eastern but also somehow no, asian Minas Morgul. Minas Tirith is the is the Minas Morgul is the one that fell. It was. It used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sorry. My my singular point of reference with fantasy stuff uh, is incredibly limited, but it just seems to be like well we are Minas Tirith or Minas Morgul used to be Minas Minas Elith before the bad guys took it over. But it's a fortress city basically. Yeah, and and they're like well. We will defend. We will. We're buying time, even if we're going to lose. That's their strategy. And so then we'll make the world aware that the Dark One is invading. And I'm like, do you really need to do that? Don't you? Can't you send someone through a way gate that can run down a hallway and then they're right there by where the fucking Aes Sedai are at the White Tower and then they can do their weird summoning spell? And have it be like a satellite to where everyone's made aware. Seems like you can knock that out in like an hour max. Also, it's super fucked up that the entire, once again, we get back to this weird gender essentialism in this world. The entire structure of the strategy is all the men go to this like incredibly porous like wall with holes. So they have holes so they can shoot crossbows there. Sure. You see. Right. And also get spears chucked at them. Which, I mean, respect to, I mean, that Trolloc is going to the Trolloc Olympics and the Javelin. I mean, to be like 150 yards away and then heave that thing like you're Dan Marino, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> chucking it downfield, saying someone's there. And then you nail the king with that velocity where then it goes through the wall. Come on. Now. This is the thing. So the structure, the setup is this idea that the men will go to that fortress and the women will stay behind, you know women and children will stay behind in the city and guard that city, but they still have to fight to the last person. So people that aren't from the city, they're allowed to evacuate. But if you're from the city, you have to fight to the death, but also, and we, we, we can wait on this, but it's like, it seems kind of like kind of pointless that they had that first wall, considering how we see the Trollocs get handled. I'm just saying, it seems like. I'm, I'm also just saying if you had a massive long field, that your enemy is attacking on. If only you had some kind of devices that you could put inside the ground that would make the earth open up and swallow them and shoot parts of them into the sky could be useful. But that thing doesn't exist. Instead, you have to summon magic and create lightning strikes down. It it makes no sense to me. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves before the siege happens. Moraine's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to chill here for a day, but tomorrow we're going to march into the blight and we're going to go to the eye of the world. And every one of you, that's not the dragon is going to die. But before I do that, I'm going to bring you to a bartender. Who's a, a, some sort of mystical seer. Who's going to try to find out which of you is the dragon. 
the supernatural professions like tier rankings because this bartender is just like ever since i was a child people wanted to know what my like what visions they would have and it was hard knowing exactly what would happen to people uh because they would think that i would make it come true but in reality it wasn't that i was able to just tell the future blah 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 so it's like made her be like this kind of uh hard-edged uh uh character uh but I, I feel like if you're a bartender who's like, and that's why I just spit the truth because it's the truth. It's what's going to happen. Cutting it, it to you straight. And I can tell the future like that is probably one tier ranking. But then just below that is like the creepy farmer that lives in the uh, right by the cemetery. You know, it's like, oh, the Johnson house has been abandoned for 17 years. No one's ever been there before. Oh, you're moving in. Well, best of luck to you. As far as <laughs> like, NPCs go, those are the two best. It's just, it's just, okay. Uh, I find, I guess, I'm I'm sure she is probably important in the books or if she's not, oh, so she serves the function. No, she's incredibly important. So, okay, so this is one of the, we talk about wish fulfillment shit. So the later prediction she sees for Rand is she says, I see you with three beautiful women. And that is correct because Rand does get three wives over the course of the books. By the way, none Claire. of which are his girlfriend from, I don't know. I'm, I, I, it's, it's called something. I'm going to call it the Shire. It, two Rivers, whatever. His girlfriend from Two Rivers, Egwene, is not one of his three wives. His three wives are um, include, in fact, that fortune teller. Say what? I know it doesn't make sense. Don't worry about it. Oh well. So yes, as part of his reward thinking, for being like Christ, a he gets a 15, mystical harem. Fifteen-year age gap between them. Probably more. She's a lot older than him. Yeah, I know. I'm just. I'm just trying. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think. Like number one, you know, mad respect. Get what you want. Um, uh, shout out to him. Uh, like you're the special boy. You deserve the harem. Go ahead and breed a whole bunch of like little dragons like pop up like little baby godzillas is what i would imagine that they are then they can all war over your kingdom when you die and that's how it works I it's way more fucked probably. up than that <laughs> okay great i i'm excited uh to to see this definitely all play out yep. on screen uh, let, so, let me just put uh, it, I, I will actually give the spoiler for the very end so uh skip 25 seconds if you're still listening to this first off you don't care second off yeah, you're in hour two of this now. Like, y'all are in this with us. Okay, so... So in the last battle, he fights the Antichrist, effectively. Uh-huh. Which is... Called the Anti-Anti-Dragon. Uh, well, it's Ishmael reborn as Moradin. Don't worry about it. I, I just... I... <laughs> I feel like there was a convention with all like the fantasy writers where they all were like smoking pipes and they're like, ah, main villains are going to start with M this year. It's, Feeling real good. It's a it's market tested. It's a, it is a strange convention. Uh, but yeah, so Ishamiel is resurrected as Moradin, who's, uh, you know, effectively just like a, he's a tall black haired guy to Rand's tall red haired guy. Uh, and he uh, is the Antichrist. It, it, it is a uh, is a uh, what 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 uh, Earth based race is more in the books. He is white, but you know. Okay, so Amazon. But that's because uh, he was written by Brandon well, Sanderson primarily, and not by Robert well, Jordan. I, is it better if the Antichrist is is you know not white? Because I kind of like the idea of like super emo Antichrist that looks like a school shooter about to walk around, you know. 
charisma vacuum that he is that the original actor who was matt that got recast bring him back but as moradin there we go uh we, we can fix this show with that level of casting <laughs> so basically in the very last battle it's important by the way to this in the very last battle uh rand and him basically kill each other and rand is dying but uh Moradin is destroyed along and sealed with the Dark One. But in his last moment, Rand, whose body is dying, transfers himself into Moradin's body. Now, well, no, we can't use that casting immediately. Not. Yeah, I was about Absolutely. to say, what you have created is blackface. <laughs> Roundabout blackface, but... Hold on, I'm now back into the idea. <laughs> but no, yeah, so it's um, it's bad. It's not a... It's it's a we're never going to get a last season. This is not going past next season. I want everyone to be very clear. No, no. Like this upcoming season has incredible, like uh Prince Caspian vibes from the Chronicles of Narnia movie. Do you remember <laughs> when Prince Caspian came out yeah. and they're like, Oh shit. Oh boy. They're kicking off the first. Oh wait, this is all kind of the same. And what's this next book going to be about the silver chair? What the fuck? Uh, no, absolutely not. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Absolutely no budget. Yeah, let's yeah. go. <laughs> this season is very much the Prince Caspian, and next season is the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. <laughs> like, let's just sh- let's set this ship afloat, but make sure it sinks. We, it doesn't matter. We got the rights to Lord of the Rings. We do not give a shit. We can print money. Yeah, I I, I think that that's exactly what their thought is. Like. I mean, we're going to do it. We're going to check off all the boxes and it will be a show that we made. And if it gets popular by some weird form of witchcraft, then sure. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll make another uh, two seasons or whatever. But uh, season two. Yeah, we'll, we'll plan on wrapping it We've up. We've already now. paid the actors. We can't, you know, we'll slash the budget for everything else. But we got to pay the <laughs> actors. It's just going to be them doing line reads around the table. (laughs) That's season three. (laughs) We're not letting you out of your contract, and we're technically making a product, so you can't just leave and go do other stuff. But you are, in fact, going to be acting this on the set of a high school LARPing team's uh, (laughs) uh, cosplay scene. (laughs) Your costumes will look worse than theirs. We're letting you know right now. We are using their Uh, (laughs) hand-me-downs. We we invested real hard into the paper mache aspect of what leather looks like. So, might have been a tactical error, but that's, that's for neither here nor there. Um... So, uh, this show that the we're still we're still talking we're almost, about everybody. We're all, we're we're on the home stretch. All we have to do is have the creepy bartender Rand. They go through a contrived thing where everyone argues about. Oh, I actually love the special boy, the the special woman the most. I love the special woman the most. Yeah, and it's like, well, I always knew that you loved her because you got married to your lesbian coded wife the day after I said that I loved her. Like, yeah, sure. Uh, fuck, whatever. Okay, cool. <sighs> He's going to marry a wolf, isn't he? No. No? It's going to be like wolf mother or something? He's going to marry a... Uh, a we're just a not going to worry about what happens. To- you don't need to know. Okay, it's fine. So yeah, they, they have this... Inc- incredibly trite uh 
love triangle scene that's taking place and uh ends up not mattering in the slightest it's resolved in 20 minutes and also yeah, it's literally like i i knew we were all just blown off steam we're all fine i know you never wanted to hook up with her and perrin's like uh yeah haha yeah right everyone no, resolves steam differently in to. this N- nine ave <laughs> hooks up with lan who's the secret king of that secret malkir which was swallowed up by the blight and only him got out uh-huh yeah king of nothing yeah which makes you a king still somehow right because that's how lineage works right it's not the size of your constituency but rather the fact that you are a king therefore you are entitled to better treatment one king one yeah. vote <laughs> and so she, she hooks up with, with he's the papal state <laughs> of world powers <laughs> and as the representative of this shut the fuck up <laughs> she hooks up with with lan um uh, who is like objectively out of her league? Yeah, oh, he's by, he's the hottest actor and uh, hottest character in the show by far, a, a thousand percent. And the the just like the the entire time if, while the dialogue is taking place, it feels like he is saying that he's like not good enough for her because she tracked like, him once. Well, and also I think it's because she can channel and he's like a beaten dog. And he's like, no, actually, I don't deserve that. No, I'm just, all I am is just a special king that can do cool things with my sword. I'm not cool like you. I'm just the greatest warrior you've ever met. (laughs) I can't make wind appear at my fingertips. No, I can't do that. I'm telling you, you give Lan a gun. He gets his kingdom back in 36 hours and it's fine. Like I, I I cannot emphasize enough how the lack of any weaponry beyond what, what currently exists, but knowing that this is set thousands of years after a sci-fi future, it rings not true to me at all. I cannot believe that we would give up such technological things. It would be like if we were like, well, in this show, the wheel doesn't exist. Not the wheel of time, just wheels. Like, we don't have carts. We pull everything. And then, like, the magic wizard people are able to come up with wheels. And they use wheels. And it's like, that's what makes them special. It's supposed to make us think that this, like, the hubris of man, like, the idea that the we could have a great society and have it broken in a moment. But it doesn't work as well as just, like, a sort of generic, like, high fantasy. Choosing it to be fantasy sci-fi was a mistake. Because, yes. You'd be like, oh, I still have a gun. Like, or you would have an automatic loading crossbow. Like, th- like there would be gun equivalents here that would take place. Like, even if it wasn't in, like, I just, I mean, again, it just feels like they didn't think through the world. I understand that they're uh, hamstrung by what the book itself is. However, your job as a TV show is to fix the stuff that wouldn't adapt well to the screen. And they failed miserably across the board with this. So 
everyone resolves their own stuff. Rand goes and is bad at archery. And then he then sleeps with Egwene is like, Oh, I know you didn't mean it. Or I didn't mean it. And this and that, like, and I'm fucking great at archery now. Oh, so, yeah. So (laughs) then he goes out into the courtyard and he's suddenly great at archery. And he's, and he remembers like, Oh, when I broke out from before I used the force to get out and, Oh, it wasn't actually Egwene who pushed that trollic and triggered the dark wind. It was me who did that. Taking agency from one of the female characters, but that's fine. Keep going. It is a theme. Uh, And then he's like, and then he storms to the bar. He's like, what are you? And and she's like, oh, I was expecting you, but clearly not. And then he's like, what do you see for Uh, No, no. She like puts notes away in case it was any of the other people, you know? (laughs) Like, ah, yes, I always knew it was going to be you, Rand. Uh, Flip, 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 flip. Yes, I have it right here. (laughs) Called it. And so he's like, I knew I'm the dragon. And so he basically comes to the realization that he's the dragon reborn. He's like, I have a memory of being on that slope, looking at the mountain. And then basically they do the old switcheroo where he convinces Moraine, him and Moraine. Well, while Lan and Nynaever are just, you know, like doing the do, they just, they booted out the back door and they're out into the blight. Cause he knows that his friends are going to die if they go to the eye of the world, but also Moraine's not going to die. If she goes to the eye, I don't understand the going to die. Also, it's much better to leave them in the abandoned city that or you know, the city that's about to get absolutely just their teeth kicked out uh, with this massive wave of Trollocs. Right. And then the invasion happens. There are 15,000 Trollocs that come in to this. And however many fades, I'm just saying, like, this is an unspeakable army. And we saw that a fade can take on a level 12 retired bard. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, (laughs) I feel like there are as many fades there as there are main characters we're supposed to care about. There's more. There's And not, well, but even if it was just... 60 fades coming in that would be a fucking problem for them and the the, that's just again the thousands of trollocs that come in and so that's when the siege is taking place concurrently to rand and moiraine they arrive at the magical yin yang symbol in the ground literally that that we're told is unbreakable we're 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 told it's unbreakable unbreakable it's it's Chekhov's unbreakable symbol, Dread. You see, uh, in, in the first act, they tell you that this thing is unbreakable. Uh, no, it's not even in the third act. It means five minutes later, uh, at the next cutscene, <laughs> they will show this thing breaking. <laughs> and um, the reason that this is even possible, though, is because Moiraine has handed... Uh, a tiny little like, uh, I don't know what they call it a sangreal. Okay, yeah, a little tiny clay pot. It's, it, it's supposed to look like the word angel. <sighs> I know. It's a statue. Yeah, it gets tiny it, little. They get so just so you're aware, because I will not be able to gaslight you into watching the second season. No, I'll, I'll watch it. That's fine. Okay. But, uh, and no, we're, we're doing season two, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in this now for the long haul. <laughs> I've committed to 79 episodes of Yellowstone. <laughs> this is nothing. This can't hurt me. I think Yellowstone <laughs> might actually be good, though. Like, 
<laughs> it's actually pretty great. I watched the the first episode and I was like, yeah, okay. I know well, it's like anyway, sorry. it's reactionary of me, but yeah, also it looks fine. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's it's great landscape shots. It seems compelling. It's soap opera. It's basically Dallas, but set in Montana. Danny Houston, uh, who I just love as being like a shit eating like heel of a villain because he's playing a real estate developer. He's great in it. But again, we'll save that for the Yellowstone podcast that will be coming out in a few days. But um, uh, this this, though, uh, yeah, he, right. he gets his little action figure. So we get we get concurrent shots of the siege happening and then um more rain and uh and uh i wonder where they got this from though a compelling you know three person <laughs> struggle in a fantasy world with one magical object at the center of it while a massive siege and battle is taking place with a unknown super large cgi army of uh not orcs um for legal reasons <laughs> taking place yep Real, real original material here. I was waiting for Perrin to lead an army of wolves out. Like, that would have been so much cooler at any given point than what they let Perrin do. <laughs> but we get we get these three competing narratives of Perrin's in the keep, and they're smashing the floor for something. And then uh, Nynaeve and Egwene <laughs> have joined so- the other three people that can use the one power in the whole city. And they're they're all gonna do something like the the sister of the main city lord is like get me anyone who can chant or even a trickle of the one power and have them meet me on out in the open field where we could be killed by a single throw of a spear from things that have been shown to throw spears very well <laughs> with no warders with we're just gonna be there just waiting till we can see the catapult. whites of their eyes catapult grift <laughs> catapults don't exist in this world look i, I just want to point out so uh, I, i'm going to talk a about the seizures with a catapult got... would be the single most deadly creature Kellen has, <laughs> Kellen has descended from the, the, the sophistication of guns down to the sophistication of catapults would be sufficient for him to conquer this world and rule it as its god king uh but so they send the the men out to this like like this is the same thing so at the end of of, uh game of thrones they send out all of the riders into the dark so they can get one cool shot of their lights twinkling out in the bricked up darkness out there as the compression good episode that everyone definitely loved from a season that's universally admired they Uh do the same thing for the 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 warriors of this fortress city who go out there so that some of them stream out on their horses and immediately get wrecked and the rest are firing crossbows out of this thing and they just get like the main guy the the lord who we met last episode when he was just being casually misogynist because gotta show that he doesn't listen to his sister and he just gets thrown a spear like hucked straight through him and then of course the trollocs break through the thing and the way that it's handled is the sister who's not an Aes Sedai but she's like a weak Chandler calls on the power of the other women and because Nynaeve and Egwene are there and they're both so powerful she's calling down lightning and she's just fucking blitzing these things and once again I want to stress the trollocs are just running across the field empty handed Except for torches, which honestly, the fact that they don't have dark vision is a is a is a balancing issue. They are of the dark. Why do they have torches? Yeah, it really does seem like they're like, well, I'm carrying the torch because I'm going to light shit on fire. 
when I get there. And there definitely won't be fire raining down from the sky, creating fire where I'm running to. Right. So I, I need this torch for later. But once again, the five women are standing at the end of an open space where a single spear throw could have ruined this plan for them. Uh-huh. But I yeah. just want to remind uh, you, we have seen these things throw spears, but doesn't matter because the fu- they, they link <laughs> power. Trollic. I'm just thinking about the one Trollic who definitely went to whatever the Trollic equivalent of Alabama was. <laughs> <laughs> Rising up, getting scouted for his spear throwing ability, <laughs> getting told by Trollic Nick Saban no. that he was going to go pro. But he gets then told <laughs> getting- by Trollic... Uh, uh, Bill O'Brien, no, we established the run. <laughs> That's exactly right. He gets drafted into the Trollic War. This is Trollic Forrest Gump. <laughs> just, just wrecking shop. <laughs> uh, no more spears. <laughs> He's watching his brother get blown up like it's Vietnam with Trollic Lieutenant Dan <laughs> by his side. <laughs> it sucks that this is the funniest part of the podcast and it's like two and a half hours in. Uh, you, you know what it it sucks that the that the show yeah, this is the best uh, part of the show and it's eight episodes in yeah because it might be bad but this is at least entertaining yes and you know uh so it is what it is so the women call or uh, the the sister calls down lightning and because the nave and Egwene are there it's enough to just blow up the whole trollic army apparently which once again <laughs> begs the question what if you didn't send the soldiers out first what if you just let them get blown up by lightning and then you'd still have like a thousand guys and all of the men yeah too all of the warriors right exactly so. you just saved a thousand people maybe they used up all their spears maybe that's the canonic reason why you had to go <laughs> sacrifice a thousand people well, yeah, all of our projectile weapons that we could throw uh, are gone. If only we had small mini spears of about one inch in length that we could hurl at them at rapid speeds with accuracy. Oh, if only such a device existed. Elton has moved up to wanting to give the Trollocs guts. I'm just saying, like, uh, clearly the world of men isn't working out, and I think the Trollocs deserve a chance with uh, Trolloc Jesus. Um, and <laughs> I just, I love the idea of Trolloc Forrest Gump so much. <laughs> he was there at the two rivers, and he was just like, oh my god, they can shoot fireballs? Okay, we need to hold on to torches, because they can they can use fire, we need to have fire on hand, no matter what, the entire time. Fortunate stun, sun starts playing, and all the Trollocs just sort of, like, <laughs> tense up and, like, look, uh, like... <laughs> Like burner, 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 burner. Some some trucks silver spoon. It would be uh, uh, Emmy winning television. We did terrible things back in the two rivers. They're right to hate us. One trolley yearning for death to get closure. Tried so many times, but I don't have arms anymore to end it. I thought eating all of my friends would atone for what happened, but no, it doesn't. Now we got uh, we got to get Trolloc Rambo. <laughs> they drew first blood. <laughs> 
I mean, really, like we we don't know anything about these Trollocs. Like, are they inherent? Are they like orcs? Were they made to just serve the Dark One, and that's yeah, it? Unfortunately, very specifically, much like the Tolkien universe, but somehow worse, though less directly racially coded. The <laughs> there are species of evil creatures like fades like trollocs there's also a big one that looks like a like a like a vampire kind of thing uh-huh. uh which are like demons basically they are born evil which is always a problem like once again a, a a modern reconstruction of fantasy would actually uh dismantle the born evil trope yeah uh, again it, trolloc rambo <laughs> um but there are also humans who work with the dark one and they're called dark friends. Uh, yeah. Uh, wolf friends, dark. <laughs> Actually, friends. I think wolf brothers Just... technically and the dark friends. <laughs> uh, okay. Mowgli. That's just God. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the, the siege is over. The world that we are creating is a thousand times more entertaining to me. But the worst part about, talking about this is the talking about this specifically I know, it's... instead of this is a springboard for any of the other hundreds of good ideas that might come forward instead trollic rambo trollic jesus much better trollic vietnam it's just <laughs> a, a knight in king arthur's court style taking place in a fantasy world is comedy gold because i mean i make jokes about it but i think that would be a legitimately entertaining at least 45 minutes of television of like yeah a guy with a gun single-handedly works his way up this like fantasy world environment uh like that just seems entertaining to me no Um, it's very important that we in fact get this cw characterization and it's also very important that we understand that it's the special boys that will save us, not guns. <laughs> Wait for the special boys. Yeah. Power comes at the end of a magical wand, I believe, is uh, what Trollic Mouth said uh, <laughs> at one point in time. <laughs> so all the casters, we have to talk about this terrible show. I'm so <laughs> All the casters, except for uh, Egwene, uh, burn out from this this thing of calling down. There's too much the source. They burn out, and it's a it's a really interesting. But they can't knock her out. Right. They could knock her out, and that would stop the channeling. Right. I once they, again, they, they don't. Instead, it waits till it burns through her and Nineve, who's the who would have survived because she's the most powerful. Instead, takes the burden on from Egwene. And Egwene survives. And, and Nynaine's got this, like, horribly scarred face. But, of course, she's important we, to this. We say horribly scarred. It's, like, animated CG. Right. Sorry. Defied. Horribly applied a blender texture on. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> she looks like Clayface is what, what ends up happening. But it's only there here. for, like, five seconds because Egwene immediately heals Nynaeve, rendering any tension in that moment null. Also, any weight or memory of the loss of someone, uh, like literal scar from battle that would take place, that would be a signifier of character development and a reminder about what an influential moment this was on their character development, gone. 
absolutely can't have that nope gotta have the uh she's already not hot enough for land you think she'll be hot enough with some scars on no her one's absolutely hot enough for land. not <laughs> trollic rambo trollic rambo uh, and land <laughs> the mutual respect across the battlefield is what they would say and show to each other um so we flash to the third and worst of the concurrent stories which is my man Perrin getting nothing done. And he's just in the thing where they're doing their last duty, which is to basically uncover the Horn of Valair, which is definitely not just a Horn of Valhalla. Which... The fresh Horn of Belair. <laughs> the fresh uh, Horn of Valair. <laughs> 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 uh, that would be also a much funnier word. <laughs> Trollic Fresh Prince of Belair. <laughs> now here's a story all about how my life flip turned right upside down. I went right from the blight to the eye to die. God uh, <laughs> invaded one little village. My mom got scared. <laughs> Much better show. Uh, uh. But they pull, okay, they, but yeah. they pull out this horn of Valer, which is like supposed to be blown by the dragon at the end of the world to summon the greatest warriors of history. Once again, because if you're gonna write a Christian mythology fantasy story, you gotta shove some Northern European Nordic shit in there too. Everyone knows Jesus was a Viking. Well, uh-huh. that's Jesus and Odin may genuinely be different contemporaneous stories about basically the Vikings got really mad that Christianity was call it was not colonizing, but like taking in people and they may have redone Odin to just be cool. Jesus. I mean, uh, respect really like if we, if we're okay with our superheroes getting like redone origin stories, proud on the Vikings for just being like, okay, so we're flipping the script here. All right. <laughs> we all know Odin, all father, kind of boring. Now, what a young, hot Odin. An Odin that smokes weed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so they find the Horn of Valair, but they, but so in, in a scene that, once again, very funny out of context and in context. So Pat and Fane, who's that? You mean when they're bending the 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 iron, and it takes like three guys to bend the iron, but after they pull it out, one guy is able to kind of lazily hold the iron by himself. Yeah, like it was nothing, and like me- it was styrofoam. And meanwhile, just outside <laughs> of the locked doors, Pat and Fane, who's the peddler from the village, who's the other, who's once again the bad guy who shows up over and over again. He, he utters the secret words and the two guards are like, how did you know those words? And he's like, I learned them. And then the fades killed them. Like, if you're going to ask, how do you know those words? Don't open the door. Just be like, is this legit? How do you know these words? I'm not opening this door. I'm sorry. I'm going to do this questionnaire from this side of the door. You have two hooded figures. Can you tell them to take their finger? Oh, they've got horrible face eyesless faces it's a good thing i didn't open this door if only there was a way to attack someone through a small hole in a door that could then provide a defense of some kind oh, i have to write stand your ground laws for fantasy medieval times i'm just saying like how do you know those words uh let me in and i'll tell you gun points out the door i think not i think you tell me right fucking now how you know those words 
So Pat and Fane comes in and he steals the horn, revealing he's a dark friend. And also he's the one who called the Trollocs to the two rivers. Um, and very importantly, by the way, in the books, Pat and Fane does steal the horn. Also, he steals the dagger from Matt and he becomes like horribly bound to the Shatter of Legoth evil. He becomes an eldritch monstrosity himself. But yeah, but that would require character development instead of, hey, remember him from six episodes ago? Well, guess what? He's back. Also, he's like really cartoonishly evil. He's just like, the world needs the light and the dark. I'm just going to, uh, you know, I'm going to stab this ogier here a little bit and then just peace out. And oh, oh. I mean, he did kind of punk Perrin. Though. Oh, he punked Perrin he was... all the t- like completely. He's like, oh, you're going to pick <laughs> up like, that what? what are you going to do? Are you going to attack me? Oh, that's not the way of the leaf. Now is it? Fuck you. Fuck your system. I'm going to take this horn and bounce out of here. Oh, also, by the way, like, I hate you. I need you to know that this is personal between us. Fuck your goddamn bullshit village and its lanterns. I hate everything about that place. <laughs> And, anyway. and no army of wolves appears in this case to track down Pat and Fane. No, it just seems like that would be super easy. Too easy, in fact. All right, so we're back to our primary uh, narrative, which is Rand and Morgane in the eye of the wheel, or the eye of the world, rather, and Samuel. So it's not that a very, so the dark one appears. It's actually not the dark one. It's just a Samuel. Whatever. In the TV show, they call him the Dark One. I, I'm sorry. I, I, he's credited as a Samuel in the credits, though. Which it sucks to suck, but I know. you know what? Like the dark. I'm not gonna. The darkish one shows up, and he is a Middle Eastern man, very handsome, by the way. Oh, incredibly Lebanese handsome! Chad. Absolutely. I, I <laughs> Dark One is Gika Chad. Uh, just it, it very much was one of those like. Yeah, no, I think he raises some good points. Like, obviously, being evil isn't, like, wearing on the skin that hard. So maybe you tell me a little bit more about what you got going on here. And he traps Rand in a vision with him and Egwene starting a family. And he's like, oh, if you use your power, you can make this happen. And at the meantime, um, he, he, he magically lobotomizes Moraine so she can't touch the source anymore, which doesn't happen in the books. I think it's literally just so we can give her something to do in the second season, because in the second book, she does nothing for like most of it. Calling my shot right now. I think that that's going to be a comparison point between her and Loghain. Because they're both neutered by the one power. So I, I absolutely think it, it will be strange alliances. I agree. And I think it will. I think the entire her arc in the second season will be her trying to get her power back because she does have her power in the second book, but she's only in the end of the second book. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it gives it gives something to do with that a lister that you got on there. So we'll we'll uh, end up seeing what happens. Um, I. I want to say though that as part of like the vision the false reality that's being constructed about around rand there is a good line about how uh even though this might be the world that i want this isn't the world that she wants Egwene wants and so it's not real for him and i thought okay well that's a certain level of maturity like it's it's, it's nice active to see character development yeah, that, like I wonder what they're going to do with his care, and then just immediately they start talking about how like I I need to know that I'm the dragon, like I like you are the special one, like you are. Uh, it took so long 
you know, last time you were here, I took a thousand of you, but now how are you going to defeat me? I'm like, no, let's have like a little bit more of a back and forth about the interesting point that Rand brought up. Like, you don't need to jump immediately into the like, oh, but now how are you going to defeat me? Like, it would be cool if the dark one was like, yeah, okay, I, I hear you I, and I understand what you're saying, but. What ca- what good can you do with the so-called evil power? Like, and is the way that you want to build the world any better than what the Aes Sedai would do? You know, basically, like, play into the power vacuum aspect of it. Uh, you know, look, look at how the world crumbled before, blah, blah, blah. Like, there would be ways to have a conversation, and you could even make it be really, really cool, is if, I don't know, you already had cast the dragon before earlier in the episode, and then you could do intermittent flash cuts to the same conversation being had in between the current dragon and the dragon from the past. So that way then they could be highlighting that the wheel works because Rand is having a, a, a conversation and a half. He's like ahead of where the other dragon was in his realizations with it. And that's how progress works. And that's how time works. And that's the concept of how the wheel could go. But Elton, no. the problem is, is that you are a profoundly more creative person than the people writing this show. <laughs> Just, I, I was like, oh, well, of course, they're going to be doing this. They're not doing this. They're really not doing this yet. No, huh. no. The, the old dragon uh, only shows up in two scenes. And one of them is, is a shadowy ghost so that Ren can be like, I've been here before. It's just, yeah. Appearing as a force ghost for 30 seconds is, it's a, it, it, it was incredibly humbling on my part. Cause I was like, I like for a second, I thought, wow, what a good way for them to be drawing out like a real ethos threat for Rand and then nothing. It didn't occur at all. Instead, he casts magic missile through the Stangreal and breaks the unbreakable stone underneath. He breaks the unbreakable symbol. I need to just emphasize this again. The thing that they said was unbreakable, he breaks. And they're like, wow, oh my god, I can't believe he broke the unbreakable symbol. Who are we trusting to say that something is unbreakable in this world? Can we trust them? Like my The note I made while uh, watching this, and it's one I want to share with you, is that if I gave you a cracker, Dread, and I said, now it has been told by many that this cracker is inedible that no one has been able to break this cracker and then you break it and then eat it and then we come to a a philosophical question does that make you a god or does that make me an idiot for thinking that the cracker is unbreakable i I rip out a sleeve of uh of um uh toll house and just like is this the power of a god Like, I mean, it's the it's the philosophical question of with a gun, I guess, as well. You know, the gun doesn't make me actually a god. It makes me a god by comparison. Like, <laughs> similarly, like, it might not make you a god for eating the cracker, but if I believe you're a god because you ate the cracker, then yeah, I guess you are in this world. So congrats and enjoy all the power therein. 
<laughs> just no i i, uh, I get I you get banned from twitch from saying uh cracker i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> a saltine there, here we go. <laughs> so what you call a white guy hater it's a saltine <laughs> um, so uh yeah uh we, we then get to the point where yeah the dark one does kind of sever Moy rain's connection and then uh rand gets scared because he's worried about madness uh setting up he's like inside. oh i feel it it's coming on i have to go do a solo quest out in the wilderness don't worry about me and he he runs off tell them i died and i uh really again was reminded about how they dropped the ball with low gain on this because i thought that there would be <laughs> call me an idiot i thought there would be some mirroring oh yeah would take place like maybe he starts to see this. the voices or something yeah I mean, but no, absolutely not. You know why? Because they don't know what they're going to do in season two. So they can't give any actual threads to tug on. They can only provide cliffhangers that then they've already finished that scene and filming already. And so then they will cobble together that Frankenstein monster of season one, episode one out of that. And then whatever new storylines that then they add. So Rand runs off into the wilderness. Lan comes down the well to find Moraine. And she's like, I don't think this was the last battle. I think it was merely the first. And somehow <laughs> season two. Right. <laughs> Just <laughs> pops up. So many more books. Uh, but we do <laughs> get a post credits teaser of a small child playing on a beach. And then suddenly she's going to get hit with a tidal wave because a whole bunch of weird ships show up with some weird, not orientalist at all designs. Nope, none, none whatsoever. Uh, people basically thought, okay, so we have the uh, character models from those Eternal Warriors and Zack Snyder's 300, but what if we made them more racist? Could we do that? Could we make them just, just a smidge more? Just crank it up. Dial up the racism just a little bit more just <laughs> just um, just but like constantly looking back to the like looking back to the crowd and turning the racism <laughs> and just waiting to see when it's too much oh wow oh <laughs> we're in we're in uh uncharted territory now with the levels of racism y'all are fighting with when it comes to asian characters huh oh this doesn't make me feel good whatsoever um yeah what are the odds that this kid ends up surviving and is another magical child oh no she's she's definitely getting crushed she's just made made She's just there to make us uh, understand um, that waves are big and happen. Yeah, exactly. That, okay. that waves are big can happen and that this invading army uh, is like a threat and that they are somehow more like more evil than we're, we were expecting. Interesting. I'm sorry. I just had a thought about a fantasy world and it might tie into this, but I think that it would be fascinating if you were to do a world that was set in the future that was sci-fi e, but you know, we bombed ourselves into the dark ages, kind of an idea. Um, but then a nuclear bomb does in fact go off and you know, how then do people treat this at, treat it as magic? 
and you, know, you have the, invented yeah. the Shannara, the sort of uh, the Shannara series, and which are interesting, and also the show is very bad. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a it's a final draft by any means you know um i still like uh trollic rambo with a gun teaming up with lan um, developing a uh <laughs> sense of communication maybe the radiation look i just want with magic. To be there. <laughs> small little fat trollic coming around giving quips the entire time <laughs> Oh uh, God, uh, it'd be beautiful. But yeah, so that's that's how this series and the series. <laughs> I, I'm optimistic when I say that this is how the series ends. But no, um, this is how the season ends. And so, my God, a a three hour marathon session that we uh, have done that we have inflicted on these poor people. But. Uh, I don't want anyone to say we didn't cover any plot points because we did. We covered all of them. We expounded on them. We criticized them. We used them as jumping off points and we brought things back. We had firmer and more complicated narrative threads in this discussion than the show had just at all. And so, uh, Dredd, I just want to say thank you for uh, taking me on this journey. This has been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me on. Anytime you want me on to talk bad sci-fi fantasy, uh, you know, just I, I'm I'm very ready. <laughs> well, uh, I'm like man, Trollic uh, Rambo. I was born ready. <laughs> just putting a bandana on. <laughs> Uh, uh, i'm just picturing now like uh, as the credits roll it's like you know this film is dedicated to the brave mansion chin fighters (laughs) 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 Uh, like so i'll say this and at some point offline we have to talk about how the Witcher 2 is also a failed attempt to capture the Game of Thrones oh, yeah, nostalgia. No. Se- season 3 of The Witcher, I'm almost considering us uh, just doing uh, an episode by episode, blow by blow. Because, man, that, that, would be, that would be a blast. But, yeah, we can talk about that certainly off mic. <laughs> I'll say this, is that I think that it is very interesting that so many TV shows or so many studios have rushed to try to make their own Game of Thrones while missing what made early Game of Thrones so successful, it was not that it was an epic story. And I think a lot of people confuse epic for good. It was that mm-hmm. it was, in fact, an incredibly contained stories with characters that you cared about. And frankly speaking, Game of Thrones, I think, has was overrated in a lot of ways. I actually, I think that a lot of the things that make it good are just that it's novel. Mm-hmm. But all of these studios learned the exact wrong lessons about what made it successful. And I think Wheel of Time really exemplifies that because it is epic. It is grand. It is huge. And yet it is boring as fuck at certain times. <laughs> Somehow Wheel of Time made a fantasy battle scene between man orcs and people 
more boring than Tyrion Lannister talking about taking a shit. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget the the infamous, I say infamous, but I think it was brilliant part of Game of Thrones of where Tyrion gets knocked out and we miss the entire battle s- sequence that takes place. Uh, you know, that that level of of thinking because they wanted to focus so much more on the characters uh that is the a good takeaway for game of thrones and that's something that no fantasy show has managed to just drill into their heads i think if you're going to be a huge studio and if you're going to dabble into prestige television and it does look like i think with the lord of the rings series they're going to try for this because once again if you get lord of the rings and you're going to be printing money why not like Mm -hmm. this this season definitely had extreme we realized we were getting the rights to Lord of the Rings midway through writing this series. I, I believe a director of one of these episodes is actually going to be one of the directors for the Lord of the Rings TV show. So, um, you know, they're just already stealing talent. Right. What little talent they had on this show is uh, getting right. This is, this is, as you put it out, the USFL, the AFL, the XFL. These are the minor leagues too. The Lord of the Rings. Let's be honest. This is the AAF. Yeah. This is the Alliance of American Football You're right. that, you know, bombed out after about eight weeks and then couldn't have pay their players and had like outstanding hotel bills and things like that. Um, At the end of the day, crazy. I think if you're going to dabble into prestige television, you have to actually carry a story and you have to mm-hmm. if you're going to have a lot of characters you have to understand that that means sometimes you're going to like just not see characters for a while you can't be so fiendishly devoting to wanting to spend a little bit of time with every character in every episode that you end up making it all so watered down that's a story yeah, but that's a, t- I- a conversation for a different time maybe well, I, I think, though, that the studio executives look and they go, well, see, Game of Thrones, when was it good and when did it have good ratings? Okay, like season five, season six. Okay, well, let's try and just copy those two seasons, but not doing any of the buildup. Kind of like you know how DC was like, well, we'll make our Justice League movie without any of the individual movies that leads up into it. You know, we're just going to kind of create this thing all at once and then we're going to just tell people a lot about what else happened and then hope for the best. I think we're also we're in a, a realm where like studio executives believe in the power of IP way more than they should. Because once again, like to the point that I made earlier, Wheel of Time is the fantasy series for for guys who are not hyper reactionary, but probably could be if you push them. It's it's not it shouldn't be anyone's favorite fantasy series. It was just a lot of people's fantasy series because it was the biggest one going for a long period of time. And if you didn't want to be like a Tolkien person, you were going to be a Robert Jordan person. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day. I just think you can't rely on something being recognizable as being marketable. No, you, you absolutely can't. I mean, nowadays everything can be recognizable with enough of a marketing push. And um, I I think that that's a lesson studios need to just accept. Instead, what they're going to learn is they're going to do the red notice of all fantasy. And we're going to see wheel of time season three as helmed by the rock. Mm, mm. Uh, But the rock will be Trolloc Rambo. And all of a sudden I'm into it. (laughs) 
and making his like you smell what the rock is cooking face but <laughs> it's him looking across the battlefield yeah no it's great it's the rock but the rock from ballers oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. that's gonna be <laughs> the trollic rambo that is that's that a great place. that's a great trollic rambo full circle man <laughs> Yeah, this Trolloc Rambo has like a knee brace <laughs> and is on painkillers. That's his whole like arc. Not serving the dark one, but you know, just like trying to get by that kind of thing. Wants to. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, but I think we've talked enough about this show. Yeah. So but until uh, next we, season, we can, where we're forced to do it again. <laughs> we can lay it to rest. Uh, and if not lay it to rest, we can smother it with a pillow. So uh, that being said, though, Dread, uh, wh- where can where can people find you? What, uh, what have you got to plug? Uh, so What's you can find on? me at, at Dread underscore Botlord. Uh, I also write sports journalism for the Houston Chronicle under the name uh, Robert Charles. Uh, there we go. Uh, mostly about the Houston Rockets. Um, and the only other thing I have to plug is that uh, uh, the post holidays are tough for a lot of people with uh, housing and food insecurity. If you have a local mutual aid group, uh, send them some couple bucks. It can make a big difference in a couple people's lives. Yeah, that that's something that we all need to do. We all need to look out for each other. Um, who knows? Maybe one of the people that you give food to will be the last known person from a, another kingdom and the rightful heir to said kingdom. Um, although I would assume if that person is the only person from that kingdom that would also make them the rightful heir, just regardless of uh, how that happens. But anyway, I, that's something for you to discuss in your own communities uh, to go ahead and do. Um, for for uh, our side of things, uh, let's go ahead and uh, just make sure that you're following uh, at GigoCast on Twitter uh, for the Garbage In, Garbage Out. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon, so that way then uh, we can feel motivation to do uh, more things. This is going to be coming out on the main feed, but believe me, I would love to just be able to rip apart a bullshit fantasy series for three hours. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, this is this is my bread and butter, um, and then all. Also, be on the lookout for Yellowstone. I'm so. The, I'm, I'm uh, not gonna lie. I'm so excited for you folks to do Yellowstone. It, it's uh, it's gonna be a joy. Uh, I'm I'm not going to say that uh, it will be uh, every episode will be great, but Yellowstone does have as its opening scene Kevin Cosner shooting a horse in the face. So it really kind of sets the bar, I think, for what awards television is truly going to be. Yeah, that's just going to go ahead and uh, do it. So uh, without further ado, goodbye, everyone. Love you.